When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm trying to elevate small talk to medium talk. Hi, I'm Alexander Chester. In Av, you don't have to tap every app. You have to tap every app. And I'm Av Sinensky, and I'll be going upstairs to eat this fucking Chinese food in my fucking room right now. And I'm Wayne Fetterman, and I invoice people. <laughs> Welcome back to Pretty, Pretty, Pretty Good. We are here today to discuss Season 7, Episode 2, Vehicular Fellatio, which originally aired on September 27, 2009. And just at the top, I want to apologize. My audio quality may not be so great today. I, at the last minute, had to travel halfway around the world, but I would not miss this episode for anything. As you heard, we have a very special guest uh, Wayne Fetterman here to discuss vehicular fellatio with us. Wayne, of course, is known in Curb as neighbor Gene Weinstock, who grabbed the pretty, pretty, pretty good Worst Person Award in Season 1, Episode 6, and then held that championship belt for the longest run that we've seen so far, all the way till the Season 3 finale. But of course, Wayne has done so much more than neighbor Gene, and so Wayne, I'd love to start with something else. Uh, can we start with your new book, The History of Stand-Up? I'd love it. I'd love Thank you. Yes. All right. So one of the most incredible things about this book is how contemporary it feels. Like you write about Mike Binder's new docuseries on Showtime about the comedy store, which I literally just watched like eight days ago. <laughs> and the end of the book obviously talks about like how COVID-19 has affected stand-up. And it really feels like a book that, that you just finished moments before I opened the cover, which is a, a very exciting feeling. But can we start all the way at the other end of the book? You, the subtitle of the book is from Mark Twain to Dave Chappelle. But you actually start even earlier with Artemis Ward from the mid-19th century. And I'm curious, like, why you chose Artemis yeah. Ward as the starting point. Because he is the guy that inspired Mark Twain to do stand-up comedy, or there were sort of more comedy lectures at that time. But he's, he created the financial model of one guy standing on stage touring theaters in the United States, uh, doing over an hour of, of comedy material, and... When Mark Twain saw it, it blew his mind, and he thought Artemis Ward was the funniest man he had ever seen, and learned not only how to tell a joke, but how to structure an entire evening of comedy. Maybe I'm like overly influenced by like Mel Brooks's portrayal or other like pieces of pop culture, but in my head, you know, like Kings and Queens had the world jesters performing like an early form yep. of stand-up hundreds of years ago. On your podcast, I think was it Dimitri Martin who tells a story about like this two thousand year old Greek joke book that was recently discovered? Yes, yes. Oh my God, you're that's a deep dive. Yeah. So I'm not saying that Artemis Ward is the first stand-up. I'm just saying he's the one that sort of created an economic model in the United States. Helped create an economic model in the United States that many other people have since gone through. Yeah. I guess I guess when you're the court jester, it was really more a motivation of staying alive than probably the check you were getting. But yes, it was like, oh, I don't like this bit. Yeah, head off next next up, yeah, please. It's a tough crowd. Tough. 
I can't say that I had the pleasure of uh, of reading your book quite yet, but I did listen to the podcast. So I guess uh, you could you could say maybe I cheated or maybe I did it the smart <laughs> way. But it sounds like it sounds like it, they cover fairly similar stories. Like you're basically just like tracking the history of stand up yes. across yeah. like different eras and like kind of like the way it interacts with the culture and the technology. It's it's really interesting stuff. Um, it's almost like you've uh, you have a university curriculum that you uh, <laughs> may have uh, lifted this from. That I uh, could... it's like it's just, it's yeah. Yeah, um, I, I guess it's not uh, it's not plagiarizing if you steal it from yourself, right? Thank you. Um, yeah, Wayne is a uh, USC professor of stand-up comedy, which apparently is a thing that you can take in colleges these days. That's awesome. Well, I hope so. I hope it's, I hope it's awesome. Sometimes it feels a little bit like a scam, but kids, my class up until COVID sold out. Every class was sold out. I bet. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, there's so much stuff in this book that, like, I consider myself a pretty big comedy nerd and. There's so much stuff in this book I've never heard of. Like you talk about like the triple run, for example. Yeah. And it, it sounds like this like legendary thing, like all these comedians do. Like, did you ever do the triple run? Like, you know, I guess tell our listeners what I that never, is. No. Uh, no, so I never, no. No, I never did. But I, it's not I avoided it. I would love to do it. And it's still around. And there's part of me that still wants to maybe do it. It's because it, it's all by car travel. So you really have to put on a lot of miles on your car to do it. Like thousands and thousands of miles. Uh, but it's. No, it's a legend, again, a legendary string of one-nighters. There's a couple, I think there's a couple two-nighters as well in there. And people have been doing it since the 80s. And I talked, I always, whenever I talk to young comedians, that's the, one of the first things I ask them, especially if they're from the Pacific Northwest. Okay. Another, another thing I was wondering is Montreal has like the legendary Just the Last Comedy Festival. You mentioned in the book mm-hmm. how it started in French only. And yep. that sort of, you know, I have to admit, I've, I've only heard of like two French speaking uh, comedians. So like, how did a comedy <laughs> festival that didn't even permit comedy in English become like the most important comedy festival in North America or one of? Probably the most important uh, because it was <laughs> French. French did a little more. It was a little more variety. There was like jugglers and there was uh, like people who did hula hoop stuff and there was clowning and there's sort of a little more of a Euro feel to obviously Montreal. And so those were the main acts. They weren't really stand-ups. And then when they opened it up to English speaking acts, you know, we just flooded that market from not only here, but also from England, Australia, Ireland, uh, many other different countries. And now there's comedy clubs all over the world. India, Africa, all have comedy clubs now. What I thought was so interesting um, was just like you you speak like very specifically about like the amount of gatekeeping, like specifically in the form of whether or not Johnny Carson decided to take you to the couch or let, allow you to stay till the end of the show. It's like there's like, oh, this guy gets to decide who's a successful stand up comedian. And it's like so interesting when you track it to today where it's like obviously become just like so much more democratized where like anyone with a Twitter account or a podcast, if you're awesome you know people will find you and people will follow you but like at the same time it's like so hard for anyone like no matter how good you are these days to like command anyone's attention because like everything is just like so all over the place and scattered where it's like there's like something nostalgic about that like everyone just like oh this guy was on johnny carson and he said he's good so everyone now knows that guy yeah yeah uh, but it was even before even before carson there was the ed sullivan show had a similar kind of uh I know, like in Mafia, they call it, you're like a made man. You're like, okay. Exactly. Yeah, that's so. You're in the club now. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I like, you know, I like it now better than that, to tell you the truth, because you get like somebody like, I don't know if you know Sam Morell. If you don't, please check out. He put up a self-produced stand-up special called I Got This, 
and it's about 50, 53 minutes, and he did it at the uh, Comedy Cellar Auxiliary Room, and it's as good as, it's just incredible. It's just joke after joke after joke, callback, just old school. It's so strong and wonderful, and like he he was his own gatekeeper. You know, I mean, like, it's inc- I love it. I love it. Has over 5 million views on YouTube right now. Wow. I think I first learned of Sam from the roast battles, which is another thing you talk about in the book, mm-hmm. and you know, which is which is a thing that introduced, I think, to people who who don't live in LA and can't go to the comedy store all the time. It introduced a whole bunch of comedians who were, you know, big names already there, but maybe hadn't gotten uh, national attention yet. I'm wondering, you know, as I was reading through your book, I was trying to keep sort of a running tally in my head, like who's the highest profile stand-up who like hasn't appeared in the book yet? Um, and I sort of like, oh, he, he got that one, he got that one, he got that one. I think I think Neil Brennan was holding the title until the acknowledgement. And then you gave him a shout out to me now. <laughs> so uh, let me, can I just, before we continue, just, I am really enjoying your, both of yours level of stand up nerddom. I'm, I'm <laughs> over the moon. Thank you so much for reading it and paying attention to all of that stuff. It's, it's, my heart is swelling right now. And then, oh, wow. so if I collapse of a heart attack, you'll know why, because I was overjoyed. <laughs> It's such an interesting art form because it's just like it's so personal to the comic in so many ways. And like, to the audience like, member. At, correct. Yeah. It's like anything else. It's like obviously you, you watch Curb Your Enthusiasm and there's a lot of Larry David in it. But there's also a lot of other people. There's a lot of Jeff Garland in it. There's a lot of Wayne Fetterman in a specific episode. Like stand-up comedy is like one of the only art forms that we have left where, where it's like really just like it's, it's, a, it's a one-on-one. And like it's really just all coming from one person's brain. Yeah. It's that, and that's what I love about it. And that goes back to Artemis. I mean that's what you were seeing when you're seeing Artemis. I mean yes, Artemis was a character he created. That guy's real name, believe it or not, is Charles Brown. And so – but yeah, I, I that's what I am a huge comedy nerd, exactly like you guys, from open micers all the way up to Bill Burr or or you know Chappelle, whatever whoever you think is at the king of yeah. the the hill right now. Yeah, uh, I appreciate how how touched you are that. Uh, but you know, we're doing a podcast about a show that was on TV twelve years ago, so obviously we have some obsessions. If, yeah. if only we had anything in common other than a comedy obsession, like, you know, an interest in basketball history. Oh, wait, you wrote a biography on Pistol Pete. <laughs> so l- let's let's transition to that for a second. Um, here, I'm like the, your dream. Yeah. I feel like I'm your dream guest. I don't oh, know. So far, yeah. He kind of is. Alex Alex does, in addition to this, he does like a very intense sports podcast what? where like they do things where they do things like rank like the hundred best shooting guards that oh, like, my play God. college at, like in the Midwest or something like that. He has like every chart of every basketball stat you could imagine. Well, I am a ranked, ranked a friend of mine. So. He's a comedian. He's not mentioned in the book named Howie Gold. He he was, came up around the same time I did in the eighties. He used to always when we had arguments about players would call me a stat monger. Oh, that's a great monger. And I would pull out, like, yeah. uh, you know, assist the turnover ratio of uh, George Gervin. And we was like, ah, awesome monger. Better than a fish monger. For so sure. you, yeah, yeah. Use monger as a verb, it sounds like. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. We always do that. That's one of our little runners we have in life. So that's a, that's a long way of saying uh, be prepared for some very specific questions about Pete Maverick. Let's do it. Oh, my God. <laughs> Guys, we may be, I know I said I can only do an hour, but I feel like this might go over that. So let's keep going. All right. I'll allow it. Okay. All right. So here's, here's my number one pistol P question. So, of course, he, um, you know, famously the greatest scorer in college basketball history, uh, both total points and points per game. He averages 44 points a game. 
and he's pretty consistent. He basically averages like within one point the same every year of college at LSU. Um, my question is, he obviously does this before the NCAA has a three-pointer. So if there's a three-pointer, how many points a game do you think uh, Pistol Peak could have uh, scored at LSU? Well, you're not the first to ask that question, and I, I know this is going to sound like a dodge, and I write about it in my book. Is It's just a conjecture question, so I, there's no way of knowing because, for, let's say, for example, um, he was shooting more three-pointers. I think defenses would have changed and go, gone out and covered him in that area because he was a, obviously an expert marksman, and that would have opened up more lanes, and he might have gotten more baskets he got might have gotten more fouls at the at the you know driving in the lane. So there's really no way of saying there was obviously Dale Brown famously went back and recharted uh, all his shots and they added maybe another seven points. Other people think it's ten points. I don't think it is, but uh, per game. And so, but I feel like that's not an accurate way to say it. Will I? This is what I will say that every professional and college basketball player that played after. 1980 in pros and 1987 in college had a distinct advantage in that they had a three-point shot available to them that Pete Maravich didn't. So you just have to take that into consideration. Was that, I hope that wasn't a dodge. No, I think because I've thought about it quite a bit. Yeah. No, that was that was a very no. Good I, th- I think you're right, and you know, there's always there's sort of there's two ways. Even if you want to sort of formulate it or, or try and you know project it out, there's two ways to do it. The one way is simply to you know put the shot chart out and see, all right, he took 17 shots a game and this many shots are from beyond the arc. And so, you know, add that many points. But of course, the existence of a three-point line, as you said, changes the strategy of the game. So the other way you can do it is sort of project out, okay, well, he knows there's a three-point line there. So then he's not going to be taking 21-footers. He'll take a step back and take a 23-footer. But then we also have to remember that even though we've had the three for almost 40 years now, we didn't really understand the real power of it and sort of the mathematical logic of one and a half times as many points. We didn't really figure that out until like five years ago. So like, you know, Larry Bird even wasn't shooting threes nearly that, that, that you know, obviously like a step for today. So, but yeah, it, it is, it is incredible to think of what he could have been in a different era. No question. I mean, everyone knows that in the one year, he only shot 15 of them in this final year, you know, on, a, on those bad knees and stuff and made 10. So that's a uh, 67%, <laughs> but that, you know, that's, that's too small a sample yeah. size to really, but it's still, let me put it this way. If he had shot 12%, I think you'd be hearing about it. Yeah. You know, so, uh, I, you know, he was, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, what Steph Curry did to me is, I know it's a little off track, but just as a basketball purist, I love the association. It's not a league. <laughs> uh, that he, he literally just showed you like, oh, this is possible. And then once people thought saw it was possible, they're like, oh, we can do it. Yeah. Like it was, it, uh, I don't and, know. And then when you think back, it's, it's, hard to understand historically why it took us so long to figure this out because now it just seems so intuitive and obvious like you know that you should be shooting more threes and yet and it's not like you can say oh well coaches are old school and because it was everybody like I didn't think in in 1998 hey why why isn't Reggie Miller shooting way more threes like nobody thought it. we just it didn't exist in the world and now it does and all of a sudden it's so intuitive to everyone yeah it's obvious right everything is always obvious once somebody figures it out and there was also I remember this vividly. There was a thing like the three is a bad shot because it, if you miss it, it's usually a long rebound that leads to a fast break yeah. for the other team. There was that and mentality was going on. Yeah, yeah. Counterpoint: you get three points instead of two. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Of course, of course. And 
Let me add another thing is they started adding three free throws for a foul on a three-point shot. Right. I don't in the maybe early two thousands or something. Yeah, like it was. I know Kobe had it, but I know I don't think Jordan did. Yeah, so that's more points, of course, for uh, Pistol Pete as well. <laughs> exactly, I, I add that to yeah. Pete's totals. But can I say one other thing that a lot of people don't know about Pistol Pete is that, and this is something you can track, is that he has the record for the most free throw attempts in the NBA and NCAA for his college career. He averaged, I think, fourteen. Free throws a game made eleven of them, so wow. nobody got uh, drew as many fouls. No one even thinks of Pete Maravich as somebody drawing fouls. They just think of somebody, you know, total gunner. I mean, obviously his name's Pistol. You know, he's going to be firing up a lot of shots. So let's um, let's segue. I don't want to take all your time uh, to curb for a second. I have a I have I have one more sports. I have yes. one more sports. Oh my God! Go. Where, Av comes where, in where? with the block. Yeah, I want to know where. Where was uh, where was Matsui on your right. draft board before Paul Rudd picked him? <laughs> I can't believe you let him get Matsui. That's a great pick. I know. I love it. Thank you for the reference. Thank you for the reference. I love it. I love it. I love it. All right. We could, we could go to curb now. All right. Well, no, that's a good segue. So, you know, when you're known for like, you know, I think on Crashing, when you're talking to Pete Holmes, you say the Fetterman and out, where you come into a movie, you steal a scene, and then you bail. So my, my first question yep. is, you're on curb <laughs> in season one. In the nine years slash six seasons later, you come back. So yeah. Um, yeah. How, how, I guess the, your character heard that Julie Louis-Dreyfus was coming back in season seven, so he had to be there? Or like, how, do, how does that happen exactly? <laughs> okay, you, all right. I'd like, you know, always coincidence isn't causation. You know that, right? Okay. <laughs> That's a science thing. No, I don't think it had, I don't think it had anything to do with that. Yeah. I, here's the crazy sad news that not many people have asked me about. I was, that character... Dean Weinstock, which we can really go into, was supposed yeah. to be like a re- recurring character as the next door neighbor for years. Uh-huh. Like, oh, this is going to be great. This is like the funny neighbor in like Bewitched or something like that. Like the annoying couple that they hate but are forced to live next to. And then the very next season they moved and then that was it. Ooh. So just another career disappointment for me. Yeah. Although, in retrospect, what you probably couldn't have known at the time is that Curb wasn't going to be the type of show with many recurring characters other than, like, right. the four people who are in the first episode. So it's like, even if who you, recur- they remains... But who recurs the most? Certainly, um... Probably Jeff. Um, Jeff, Sher- yeah. Jeff, Cheryl, obviously the top two. Um, I would guess Susie is next, and then probably, like, Ted Danson. Ted Danson, yeah. He's in a lot of those. Artists. And Richard Lewis. Yeah, and in, Richard Lewis is yeah, in... Yeah. yeah, so they're the top yeah. <laughs> Um, I could have been in that group. I could have been in that group, guys. Yeah, you never know. Yeah, it could have been like the Funk Man or uh, something like that, yeah. Or it could have been like um, Newman on Seinfeld. (laughs) Yeah. And didn't they... I feel like that was... They lost lost the house? So that was just like a real estate play, basically, that that the production failed to secure the house there? Yeah, I don't... That's a great question. You should... I mean, you could ask those guys. Ask... Yeah, they lost that house. I do know that. Mm. Yeah, well, I mean, I would say that, um, Wayne, you were kind of your own undoing, or at least Dean was your undoing, because <laughs> the only reason why Cheryl and Larry move houses is because even after all of the everything that we see in The Wire, that you you wouldn't approve the paperwork. So, like, you, if you would have said, you know, sure, no problem, The Wire's yours, you would have been in, like, Only your thoughts to blame. <laughs> yeah. Yes, but, uh, yeah, so that was, that's... That's sort of a bigger arc thing, but I had auditioned for the show before I even got the role of Dean Weinstock. Oh, okay. 
I auditioned for some blind, a blind guy. Is there a blind guy in an earlier episode? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah there's a, there's a. I, it's like kind of an earlier. Ed- hold on, hold on, hold on. I said like a, before a while ago that. Oh, that's funny. That's funny. Yeah. Okay. So, do you remember the episode of Seinfeld where George is trying on glasses, and then a, a blind individual walked in with his guide dog into the glasses store? Does this ring a bell at all? Not to me. Okay. That. <laughs> yeah, I remember. So, that. There's no reason it should because that that actor is not you. However, in my memory, that episode of Seinfeld, you were that character, and I and, <laughs> and I and I just and and I and I've sort of always thought that, and then I'm like, okay, so he goes from Seinfeld and he goes from Curb, which is not an, an an unusual path. The reason I think that I sort of incepted that into my mind is because you do play a blind neighbor with a guide dog, right? Correct in a movie. Yeah. Yep. And so I think, <laughs> so I didn't make it up out of nowhere. I think it's because of the fact that in Step Brothers you played that, and then I must have seen Step Brothers, and then I saw Seinfeld, and somehow in my mind they just sort of got mixed together, and so that's that's who you play. So that's very funny that you actually <laughs> did audition to play a blind guy in Curve. That's amazing. I know. And then later was cast as a blind guy in a different movie. Yeah. So that uh, that role ended up being played by Patrick Kerr, uh-huh. um, who he's he's in two episodes as well um, as this. He's a he's a really funny character because he, he's a blind guy, but like, he's a humongous asshole. Right. Well, so it's like so it's like funny that like this guy who like you would think would be like, you know, needs people to help him. He's like he like Larry, like moves furniture for him. and He's a complete. Dick right. Right. So like, um, yeah, that was like two episodes before you show up. So that was episode four. That was episode four. Okay, okay. So I auditioned for that, didn't get it, and I thought like, ah, well, that's it. And then they brought me back for this character. Here's a little bit of trivia that you don't know. Do you want trivia or do you care? Please, yeah. Yeah, we'll take it all. Um, the name Weinstock was named after a comedian, Lotus Weinstock, who I did shows that she's no longer alive. Uh, but uh, she is noted for being Lenny Bruce's last girlfriend. In, oh. in the late in sixty five and sixty six, and really funny comic, and her daughter is this amazing violinist and Lil Hayden. But yeah. her name is I'm seeing that. Yes, yeah, yeah Lily Hayden. Was, yeah, she, yeah, yeah. She was uh, she was engaged to Lenny Bruce. Oh, year. okay, that I didn't know. And she married uh, a film uh, a filmmaker named David Jove. Well, uh, anyway, that's where the name started. Weinstock comes yeah. from. If you're Cool. That's the little info. If you care, um, cares. yeah, no, that's good stuff. We we lo- we eat up all just the like extraneous curb details okay. because we we like we have like a lot of fun with like finding like the plot holes and like why did they make that choice, right? Um, so it's like always fun to hear like kind of like what was like got filled in by someone, like what was random, what was essential to the plot. Yeah, I can tell you everything. I remember like it some- all. I have a vivid memory of everything, all of those shoots and auditioning. Okay, yeah, so. Okay, so why don't we why don't we first just like quickly talk about the wire and then we'll jump yeah, into Yeah. I love it. A uh, double. We're getting, we're doing a double. Yeah. Have you okay, guys so, ever done a double before? Um, I don't think so. Have we? Alex? Um, we we spoke to Tim Conlon and we referred we referred like ahead a little bit to what we kind of remembered from what happened in his second episode. LIC. So we did it was like a, a reverse yeah. to this. Oh. Um, but yeah, I don't think we've ever quite I don't I don't think we've had a a repeat uh curb guest as a guest yet. So I'm honored. Uh, doesn't, yeah. doesn't, I'm honored. doesn't Chris okay, Williams so, come back as Crazy Eyes one more time in season nine? Though it's I don't think he comes back. I think it's just like <laughs> it's in a montage. montage. Okay. Yeah, I All think right. it's like a montage okay. back. Yeah, I think like it's a you memory. He was the first two-time up. podcast guest, though. Oh, he was Correct. okay. First time two. Yeah, yeah. So you know that's uh, obviously we put yeah. that out as a challenge <laughs> to all of our guests to, uh, <laughs> to, to beat Chris Williams' uh, record. 
Um, yeah, okay. So in the wire, we, you know, we, uh, you show up. You have a uh, you have a wife in that. In that episode. Yes. We don't know if we have a wife still here. Um, I guess maybe we'll get into that later. Um, and you know, you basically come over because we, they need your permission in order to get this wire taken down, which is horrifying Cheryl. And you know, there's some form. You need the neighbor's permission. And it basically like it just so happens that like as you're there like checking it out and you're kind of like being like a little coy with them already and being like oh you I, you know I'm you know who I really like from Seinfeld and I love the way when you there when they they ask you who you're like she plays Elaine like as if like <laughs> if that's me Larry doesn't know that's all like, me Julia that's all me guys. guys that's all me yeah yeah, yeah I love that. Um, <laughs> And, you know, so you hear on the the voice message that basically Jeff needs a lawyer and you are a lawyer. And that's, like, basically where the, like, the fun exchange begins between Dean and Larry. Um, so, yeah, so it's basically, like, the the the, uh, the takeaway is, so, yeah, you're friends with uh, the woman who plays Elaine from Seinfeld. And you have a wire that you need taken down that you need my permission for. I'm sure we could work something out. You know, I can't guarantee anything, <laughs> but, you know... <laughs> You know, th- things can happen. If the right things happen, uh, you know, other good things will happen. <laughs> yeah, that's the exact <laughs> – that is the scene. And, uh, you know, obviously this is – they were still very early. They're shooting on – on I, I don't even think digital at that time, but I think just on high-end videotape, if I'm not mistaken. I think the aspect ratio. Yeah. And the only thing that Larry said to me was like, we have to listen to the phone call, reveal that you're a lawyer – a volunteer, and then Larry thinks that's the moment. Okay, I'm going to strange the lawyer for the wire, and then I have to bring up the Julia Louis Dreyfus. And then when you make it clear, you just have to make it clear. And you, the only word that was written for me to say was, "We have an understanding. We have an understanding." <laughs> that was it. Everything else was everything was. I came out of my mouth, like out of my brain, into my mouth, out of my mouth, onto the tape, and you just said it back. Yeah, so it's like the thing that's so great about Dean is the, just like the deadpan, yeah. like just like he's like he doesn't even give you a hint that like he thinks he's being unreasonable in any way. <laughs> like usually, like when people are being an asshole, like they're more like like they're letting you know. Like he's just like no, this is, makes perfect sense. You know, <laughs> this is a perfectly reasonable request for me to demand in exchange for a thing I don't even care about. Like why should I care if you have a wire? Right. Um, it's like it's like it elevates him to like such a high level like villain because like it's like a villain that I don't think we've quite seen on Curb up until that point but like is kind of synonymous with Curb and just that like subtle spiteful assholeness that like people will do to each other for no good reason right and just because they can well the angle I was going for was I am the nicest guy in the world. That is the, that was the, right. yeah, that like I am the friendliest, nicest guy in the world. And then just obviously passive aggressive, but the, the aggressive, <laughs> the aggressive part of it is so understated. I don't know. That's what I was just going for. I was going, he has to play this completely nice. And like you said, perfectly of justified. Like, <laughs> yeah, this makes sense. Uh, you need that done. I need this. Why, why is this even a problem? <laughs> We have an understanding, right? right? This is mutually beneficial to both of us. It's it's such an unusual (laughs) mix. It's like the smarm, but mixed with subtlety, whereas smarm is usually so over the top. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. I was going for like, we're we're having a great time here. (laughs) And when he loses it, when he does that take, that's the only time I laughed on on the the whole day when he would do the, there's something wrong with my stomach. 
I can't come over to your house. <laughs> he gets like an inch away from Phyllis's face. Yeah, 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 yeah. By the way, that actress is named Lucy Webb. Used to be the wife of comedian Kevin Pollack and was oh, wow. on, uh, I think, not necessarily the news. And she worked quite a bit. Very funny comedic actress. And I think she did some stand-up as well. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, no, that's, uh, I don't know if you want any more, but that's kind of how I remember. It was just, there was no script, nothing, obviously. And just, you see the house and we're bringing it to the back. And then... The way they described it, as Larry Charles directed that, was we're just going to do it and then like a we're going to keep polishing it and do it over and over. And there's something we don't like that's going to be out. If there's something we like, we're going to go keep that or do more of that. And then we'll by the end, we'll you know after eight or nine takes, it'll be polished up nicely. Right. Yeah, and then at the, at the kind of at the very end of the episode, we kind of we get a little bit of a foreshadowing of a similar type of uh, demand that, that Dean will have here, where you know he uh, he basically gets you know a second opportunity to uh, to meet JLD, and she's in a, she's in a pissed off mood because she thinks uh, Larry has stolen her bracelet, right. and she kind of just like yells in uh, Dean's face, just like "Oh hi, you're the guy, like nice to meet you," and like storms out. And Dean is like, "Well, that doesn't count." It's like very like yeah. Banya esque, like the soup is not a yes, girl. like it is. this one. Like this is this wasn't a meeting; it was an encounter. Right, like, right. Pleasant. You're like that was like you're like that was one of the worst experiences <laughs> of my life. And I, I like the way I frame it. If I may compliment, it's like this happens in law all the time. This is a very normal thing. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. We have different understandings. Yeah, yeah. Different it's, it's a divergence of opinion. Yeah. One sees it. Yeah. Yeah. This is uh, this is just a legal issue. It's just standard. Okay. Can I give um, you just then, another bit of trivia? Yeah, please. That uh, I know what you're talking about. Is this a soup or a meal or all of that with Banya? Right. Steve Heitner, yeah. who plays Banya, was I started doing stand up with him. Was my roommate for 15 years. And oh, you, wow. the two yeah. of you were, have been in stuff before, haven't you? Uh, we were in an episode. Yeah, we did a, a very obscure TV show that I can't remember. We didn't do that much together, but we're in. Uh, a scene in Charlie's Angels Full Throttle. Not two, it's called Full Throttle. And we're in the ba- we're in a bathroom at a high school reunion. Uh, so yes. I love that guy. Cool. He's like a brother to me. And he and he as well is in season seven of Kirby yes, Enthusiasm. Of course, so of course. Have that in common. He's in uh he's in the table read. He's in episode nine. Yeah, uh, just uh, a brilliantly funny guy and really taught me a lot about taught me a lot about um, acting and stand up. Acting and stand-up. And soup. Very cool. And soup. And swordfish also. Like, and, what, and what constitutes yeah. a meal. Yeah. And swordfish served that kosher uh, oh, yeah. New York City restaurant. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah, obviously. They... Anyway. It's all good. All right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's, um, uh, but, you know, uh, we don't want to be uh, yeah. teases as dates. We promised vehicular fellatio at the top. So, uh, what? Okay. <laughs> when you make a promise like that all in right, the beginning of the it. evening, I feel like you have to follow through. Otherwise, uh, you're going to have someone very disappointed. I understand. I understand. But can I just say real quickly is the final scene of The Wire where not the final, final scene where they cut to them, but where I have his a a comedy book. Yes. That's actually his comedy book. That is not a problem. Oh, wow. wow. And and that is my favorite acting I did in the whole episode. Was just like I don't know. Is this? It says a reward. It's I, L. David. I don't. L. David. Yeah. I put that together. One or two. You know. I, and he call, I love it. He calls you like he calls you yeah. Uh, Sherlock. Yeah, yeah. I was like, oh. Uh, get, he's like, I'll get my checkbook, Sherlock. No, it says there's a reward in there. There's. It's just. I love the subtlety of the absolute, the gall of it all. 
that is the point to me where, where your character, where Dean, like the whole time, at least in the first scene, and, and as they're talking about him, you're sort of wondering, is this a guy who is really clueless to how others are perceiving him? Or is it a little bit of an act? And I think at the point where you sort of play dumb, oh, I put the L. David together, or there might be a reward. Like at that point, you start to realize, oh, no, this guy knows he's an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, and uh, maybe that's why Phyllis is no longer with him six years later, because Zaz says, she's not in the episode. But uh, uh, let's, jump into this, yeah. let's jump into this episode and, uh, and see where, when, Dean, when Dean reappears. Let's jump. Let's jump. Okay, so we are home with Larry, and he has received a gift. Um, It's a gift that we will later uh, learn is a GPS system from Jeff and Susie, a gift which in uh, right here with us in the year of our Lord 2021 would be a very foolish and silly gift, but back in 2010 was actually a really nice gift. And the the only problem with this gift is that the gift seems to have arrived in a very hard plastic uh, encasing that I'm sure we've all encountered in our lives. And what we get is just a glorious scene of Larry trying to... First, he just, like, stares it down after he, like, he tries with his hands first, of course. That's, and there's no chance that's working. Then he just, like, stares it down for, like, ten seconds. Like, you can see he's, like, forming a game plan. He First, he goes for the butter knife. Obviously, that doesn't work. He goes for the screwdriver, which, like, you could, like, with the screwdriver, you're trying to just, like, poke a hole somewhere and then maybe drag. But, like, that's never going to work. The, 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 the screwdriver is always, like, it's, like, a half measure. It's not going to get the job done. So, of course, he goes for the butcher knife and, like... He just uses the butcher knife wrong here. I think it's his main <laughs> problem. Because, like, the butcher knife, you just want to, like, get in, like, one good thing. And then you could just, like, pull with it. And he's just, like, poking at it. He's, like, psycho stabbing at it. Yeah. Um, he even, like, once, like, draws up sparks from the, the counter I saw. So, like, I don't know what was going on there. But, yeah, this is just, like, great, great physical comedy from Larry. Um, and, of course, at the end, he still has a, uh, a GPS system inside. Yeah, well, he starts stomping at it, I think, right? But this is one week after we talked about uh, on last week's episode when he finds out about Loretta's cancer. He does this just over-the-top physical comedy act of, like, pretending to pass out and, like, you know, be so distraught by the news. (laughs) And then, yeah, this episode, again, it's just like this over-the-top physical comedy that is so funny. Um, And obviously this is obviously something that we all understand, you know. And now I think they have, like, frustration-free packaging, don't they? That's, like, an option sometimes, like, when you're buying something online on Amazon. I guess because they've learned that I have not seen that. Is that what it's called? Yeah, I, you can, I, I'm still. You can check a box that says frustration-free packaging. Not all the time. I love it, but uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Zach Brooks writes in and he's like, why does this still even exist anymore? We live in a society. It's like, how, yeah, how have we not solved for this yet? Like, we figured out <laughs> yeah. so many things. Like, they're putting, they're, they're putting microchips everywhere, but, like, they can't figure out how to, like, send you stuff not in plastic that can't be opened. Like, it's very, yeah. Yeah, so then, um, you know, he is uh, interrupted. He's called uh, – he's summoned upstairs is probably a better way of right. saying it by Loretta, who, um, you know, she's – what we, what we can gather is that she's been using her cancer as a way to basically get Larry to do whatever he ple- whatever she pleases, no matter how big, no matter how right. small. She's like, she's like, why do you, what do you – he's like, oh, sorry, what do you need? He's like, what, uh, what channel is he on? <laughs> he's like, that's why you called me upstairs? Yeah, she's using uh, – she's playing the cancer card. Oh, very strongly, very thin. Yeah. Um, 
And like, I, f- I feel like what bothers Larry more here, and like I've talked about this in other episodes, where it's like Larry, I think, is more. It doesn't like that it bothers him to have to do the things. It's just that like he knows that like if he had cancer, he this is what he would be doing, and like it like irritates him to see like other people right like taking advantage of the situation the I, way in which he would because okay. like, he has like like asshole FOMO that like right he's not right. Let me ask you a question: Is this before or after he he uses the grief with the death of his? Is it his mom or something yeah, like no, that? Yeah, he's already he done played? that, yeah. Okay, so he already knows he has this in him. Yeah. Oh, he would use of, that cancer if yeah. he had it for sure. Yeah, okay, I love it, I love it. Okay. Yeah, no, all right. We we brought this up with like with with Tim Conlin, where who plays like this, uh, you know, the uh, no fly underwear guy, and like he's prepared with like all these like facts and figures about how it's been tested. And like I found there that also like Larry doesn't he doesn't mind that this guy's doing it. It's like that he's pulling off like a Larry David scheme is like what irritates him. Um, so yeah, so like she's like, hey, like I have this appointment. You're gonna need to drive me. He's like, why can't you drive? He's like, cancer. He's like, I don't think it says anything about not driving because you have cancer. Um, and he's like, do you know what it feels, what it's like to have cancer? And he's like, well, I know what it's feel, what it feels like to be with someone who has cancer. Just genius, genius. Yeah. Um, so, and, you know, before we, uh, before they depart, she's like, hey, um, you know, I'm going to dinner with, you know, the Greens and with Richard and his new girlfriend. Do you want to come? She's like, well, are there going to be any black people there? And she's like, he's like, no. So she says, oh, okay, then, yeah, why would I want to come? Obviously not. She knew what world she was marrying into with with Larry, and it wasn't exactly the Rainbow Coalition. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, although Larry suggests maybe there will be some people with cancer there. Good. Yeah, so okay. So we head downstairs and um Leon's like, Hey, I my my friend Alton, he's a huge fan of Seinfeld. Me myself, honestly, I've never heard of the show. I don't know about it. But I hear it he says it's really good. Um would you you know, he's a huge fan of yours, would you call him for his birthday? Um, you know, he's really depressed. I don't know why he's depressed. He has a beautiful wife. Uh, but yeah, he would really appreciate a phone call from you. And uh, yeah, Larry seems... Uh, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but we knew that season seven of Curb was going to be like the season, like coming into the season was part of uh, how the how it was discussed, right? And part of the promotion of it, that it was the season where like there was a Seinfeld reunion, right? Yeah. Yes, yes. Because, yes yeah, that's much. my memory. But it's interesting how this is the second episode in a row where like, it's almost like Chekhov Seinfeld, where like they make a, va- a reference to Seinfeld for sort of no particular reason. Like, why is Alton a fan of Seinfeld that's sort of shoehorned in? And it, and I'm trying to wonder, like, if you're watching Curb, not, you know, at the time, but if you're just doing, like, you know, you're on HBO Max right now and you say, hey, I've never seen the show before, I'm going to watch Curb from the beginning. You don't necessarily know what's coming in season seven, but this is the second episode in a row where, like, Seinfeld, and, and like, they go whole, they, they go whole seasons without mentioning Seinfeld on the show. It's not always mentioned necessarily. And so I think it's interesting that they do mention it sort of every episode so far. Yeah, I mean, it seems like they're trying to at least yeah. plant the seed. Um, yeah, but uh, yeah. So let's. Uh, so Larry uh, is uh, at his wit's end with Loretta. Yeah, yeah. He's uh, you know he he didn't even want to be with her. He was like ready to to break up with her yeah. before she had cancer, and now this right, is just right. like a nightmare for him. Uh, so yeah, so he's uh, he's making vegetable soups for Loretta and watching Doctor Phil, and he's having on this uh, guest doctor named Karen Trundle, uh, played by Sharon Lawrence, uh, probably most famously known as Mrs. Sipowitz from NYPD Blue. And she has a whole theory of cancer that 
the, the most important thing is to get rid of cancer is if you're in a bad relationship when you have cancer, you should get rid of the bad the bad relationship, and that will really go a long yeah, way right. to cure right, cancer. Okay, let's we, and, let's uh, talk about Dr. Yeah. Trumbull for a second. Um, so yeah, as you said, her job is to go around and tell people with cancer to divorce their spouses. Um, what is her training? Is she like an oncologist? Is she a therapist? <laughs> well, she's in a cancer uh, clinic, so I don't know. I, I think she's the therapist in the cancer clinic, right? And everybody says that. Yeah, I mean, some pe- some people say chemotherapy. Yeah. Some people say you know break up with your boyfriend. <laughs> right. Um, so, you know, both, some people you know, say radiation. Both, other, yeah. Right. Listen, yeah. okay. Both are valid theories of how it's a life a life threatening illness. Everybody knows that you don't want a support system around you. You got to get rid of your support. System. You got to cut the people out of your life. Everyone. Knows there's also yeah, something like, else I noticed when he was watching the Dr. Phil. There's like I don't know who that is. That the maid or somebody is just like asleep on the couch. Who was watching Dr. Phil? Did you notice that at all? Um, I was, was it Auntie Ray? It might've been Auntie Ray. I'm not sure. Oh, okay. I don't know who it was. Just like, just sound asleep. Who was obviously the person who was watching Dr. Phil to begin with. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I just, uh, very good subtlety on that. Like, why would that show be on? Yeah. Yeah. Now, now let me ask you a question. Um, Do we count, you know, so we track, um, the, uh, the, the celebrity guest appearances on the show. And of course we have the, the Danson rule and the Richard, uh, and the Richard Lewis rule. Do we count Dr. Phil as having been a guest on this episode when he's only playing himself on a TV on the episode? But he did record it for the purpose of the show. Yeah, okay. I think so. I All think right, he's so, doc- so Dr. Phil guessed it on he plays. And who is he playing, though? Is he playing himself yeah. or is he playing Dr. Oh. Phil? <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's a good question, yeah. <laughs> Dr. Phil as yeah, Dr. Phil as himself. So. I think that's what it would actually the right. appropriate yeah, credit. I mean, the, the curb IMDb credits are a disaster. <laughs> they make no sense. Oh, really? Yeah, so that, yeah, that was off joke. Half the like... time it says as him or herself. Half the time it says the person's name. There's no oh, consistency. That's hilarious. There's, like, no consistency. And, like, sometimes it'll say, like, Larry David as himself, and then in parentheses, as Larry David. Like, it doesn't do with Larry, but, like, just as an example. Like, with, like, with like random people that, like, aren't famous. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Or at yeah. least not famous, like, at that level where, like, everyone knows who they are. It's just, uh, I don't know why it ended up that way on the, the crediting. It's all, it's, like, all over the place. Um, but, yeah, so, um, the, to me, the best part of this is when she, like, describes, like, what a harmful person is. And she's, like, basically describing Larry David. She's, like, someone who's impatient, someone who's obnoxious. Oh. Someone who was petty yeah. and argumentative, obsesses over meaningless details. <laughs> um, yeah, arguably this describes both hosts of this podcast, but you know, I guess uh, that makes us that's our like uh, Larry David connection. <laughs> um, so yeah, the, obviously the the takeaway for Larry here is though, oh, this is a great way for me to finally. It's a, it's an aha moment. He has them all the time yes. on the show, right? Yes, yes. He has. He comes up with a lot of zany schemes that are, involve a lot of legwork right. to solve, you know, fairly benign problems. Not unlike but, you know. uh, Lucille Ball in 1950. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah. So uh, you know, she he goes and caucuses with Loretta and say like, "Hey, we're going to go see this doctor. I think she's really good. We, you know, we should get a second opinion." 
So yeah, we uh, we of course go ahead to seeing Larry in his car, and he is uh, he calls Alton as requested by Leon, and he wishes him a happy birthday. And of course, Larry throws in the uh, you know the one other detail that he knows about this guy. He's like just trying to get through like a minute to cover time. Um, is that he's a beautiful wife, and like he's like he's trying to say it in a nice way, and he's like, "Who told you have a beautiful life? What's Leon talking about my wife for?" Like, and he's getting obviously he gets uh, he gets very upset now, and you know thinks that something is going on between uh, Alton and Leon. Right. Um, Zach Zach Brooks writes in and says, "Like this, I bet this is like what a uh, a Larry David cabbie is probably like." That's <laughs> basically what it is. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. You're depressed. I hear. I hear you have a beautiful life. Right, and then ruins a relationship. <laughs> <laughs> so he's on his um, way to the dinner, right? Isn't he on his way to? Yes. yes yeah. There's... Yeah. He calls. Yeah. He calls Alton for the car. Um, yeah, so we got to the restaurant. By the way, before Larry's, we continue, yeah. I just want to say I feel like these episodes in episode, in season seven have way more subplots than they did at the beginning when I was on the wire. Is that true? Is that something you noticed? Yeah, I would say that um, there's a lot more scenes per episode for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, like the early the early seasons were just like much more like took place in like three or four locations, mainly the house, right. And, like, there would be, like, one main plot line and maybe a second plot line. Right. And now there's, like, a lot of stuff going on. And I think this is, like, a particularly great episode in the way that, like, all the plot lines yeah, yeah. Like, intertwine in a way that is, like, actually makes sense. Um, so, yeah, it's it, this is, like, kind of, like, curb, peak curb in pulling that up. Oh, I'm um, on a peak curb episode. I love it. Yeah. Yeah, I think so for sure. I guess we'll uh, we'll get into ratings and stuff in big picture later as we go. Okay, but, sorry. Uh, that's uh, I'll uh, yeah I'll uh, I won't uh, I'm not gonna hide the ball too much on my uh, love for this episode as we go. Um, so yeah, so we get to the restaurant and Larry first is like greeted by Jeff at the door and like he looks over and sees uh, Richard and his new girlfriend along with the rest of the gang and she is of course played by Lolita Davidovich uh, named Beverly in this episode um, and. Larry's like, yeah, oh, yeah, she seems great, but, you know, obviously this is never going to last. It's Richard. And Jeff's like, I don't know. She gave him a blowjob in the car on the way over here. And Larry's like, that's crazy. How Gentile of her. (laughs) Um, And he goes on this whole rant about how, you know, he doesn't approve of blowjobs, handjobs, or really any type of job (laughs) in the car. It's extremely dangerous. It's even more dangerous than cell phones. And Yeah, you you know who he reminds me of, Af? He reminds me of that guy in high school in uh, Wayne. Av and, Av and I went to an, an Orthodox Jewish high school together. He reminds me of that guy. I'm shocked. You're, yeah. I'm shocked. Go ahead. He, remi- he reminds me of that guy in high school who uh, did not uh, have any interest from girls whatsoever. And so it coincidentally happened to be very strict on the religious scriptures that required him to uh, stay away from women. It was like it's very easy to protest oh, yeah, and yeah. insist on it when it's not an option on the table. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite part about that is that at the end he does a very uh, almost Seinfeldian bit, which is the why is it a job? Yeah. Is it that hard to do? And then they come to the oh yeah, it is a job, <laughs> right? And that's why they don't want to do yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a pain in the neck. Yeah. Like why? It's the same way uh, in the to flashback to my earlier episode on Wire, and they're like, like of all the kinds of uh, maniacs to be, klepto is the like one of the worst, as opposed to. Like the, I feel like he delves into language quite a bit yeah. on this show, obviously. Yeah, yeah, um, and um, a little bit of a uh, of a uh, continuity error. Um, I don't know, Alex, if you remember back to Amco season one, episode seven, when Larry and Cheryl are supposed to go to a dinner party, and like Larry doesn't want to go because he's like, I don't like yeah. dinner parties because I 
don't like people. And Cheryl's like, no, you'll like it. And, like, they basically have a bet on whether or not he will like the party. And the terms of the bet are if he's right, he gets a Mm blowjob in the car. So, you know, a little bit of a hypocriticizer. But but, but again, it sounds sounds like when he's the one receiving the blowjob, he's pro. Yeah, but, but, but does he receive it in that episode? I don't know if he ends up, yeah, but like... Uh, my theory is he so doesn't, and that's like why he turns so. against them. Yeah. Oh, that's why he's yeah. there. He was promised... It's like your friend in... Like your friend in Hebrew exactly. school. I get it. Yeah. Uh, he's like, if I'm not going to have it, no yeah, one should exactly. have it. But also, is, Cher- is Cheryl Jewish? No, she's very Gentile. No, no, no. Oh, she's so very that, Gentile. So that when he says, oh, that's very Goyish, maybe... Right. Yes, exactly. He's like, well, only one person ever did it. Right, right. <laughs> or offered it to me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And she was quite yeah. a gentleman. Right. It wasn't, yeah, no, Le- it wasn't Lisa Showman. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. So, okay. So we, uh, we head over to the table. We meet Beverly. Um, interestingly, uh, Lolita Lorita, Lorita. Lolita Davidovich, I'm having trouble with her name. Um, she played a character named Beverly in JFK, otherwise known as the Babushka Lady. Mm-hmm. Is uh, she's like one of like the big parts of the JFK conspiracy? Is this Babushka Lady who claimed to have like recorded the whole thing, but like handed it over to people who claimed to be the FBI and like never heard from them again? And that there was this other footage of the, the assassination out there that everyone was trying to track down. And her name was Beverly. So I was wondering if maybe this is the same woman that now Richard Lewis is dating. Um, that would. Explain Explain why she's like so uh, so paranoid about people talking about yeah. her <laughs> but yeah, probably not. Um, so yeah, so but, we but, uh, I, I, I must service. say that she should have learned a lesson if she was the same woman about you know the dangerous things that can happen in a car when you're not being careful. So that's right. Yeah, car's yeah. a dangerous place. Yeah, she was there on the yeah. grassy knoll. Yeah. Um, yeah, you got you can't be too careful, as we'll learn in this episode. Um, and Larry's like, "Oh, Beverly, that's a, looks like a really nice drink. What is it? It's a uh, it's a pomegranate surprise." I will say it did look very refreshing and delicious. Um, but when she offers him a taste, he like recoils and refuses. He's like, "No, no way." <laughs> and you know, we we know it's because you know he knows where those lips have been. And he's like, no, you know, I just, like, I don't do sips. I don't do bites, <laughs> which is just, like, a very difficult thing to justify with a bunch of people who know you. It's like, right. first of all, who doesn't, who doesn't like sips and bites? Sips and bites are great. I feel like, well, but here's my question. How does Jeff know about the vehicular fellatio? Because I, I guess what we're meant to assume is that Richard told Jeff but said to Jeff, you can't yes. tell Larry. But that doesn't make sense. Like, he's much closer friends with Larry than he is Jeff. Why, why would he want Jeff to know but not Larry? Well, because Jeff is the first guy that yeah. he saw, so he's the one that he told, "Hey, do you want to hear just what just happened?" So but, but, right. but he said in the bathroom. But, yeah, but he said yeah. you can't tell Larry, I guess, because uh, I don't know. But Larry claims to be a vault. I think he's. Just like my guess is that he told him, "You can't tell anybody." Yeah. yeah. But this Correct. just happened four yeah. minutes ago. Yeah. I can't. Yeah, that's my guess. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So yeah. So we're uh, we're at the end of the meal. Larry's picking up the tab um, as he should. And, you know, they're talking about how Michael York is having a birthday party coming up. And Larry's like, yeah, I'm not going to that. Like, he lives out of the boondocks. I'm never going to find the place. And Susie's like, well, we just got you that GPS. He's like, yeah, that's a great gift. Thank you very much. Can't open it. It's still in the package. Um, Jeff's like, well, we'll have you tried a box cutter. And he's like, box cutter? Who am I? Muhammad I know. Topical reference. I could not believe my jaw dropped. At that. 2009 is too soon for you, Af? 2021? Not too soon. It's just like, it's like so specific. <laughs> oh, it's, I loved it. I mean, ah, name another prominent user of, the, of a box cutter. Let's be honest. 
no, it's like, but that, that's what it's actually interesting because, like, I don't think I could name any of the other right nine eleven hijackers. Like, I only know Muhammad yeah, Atta. Like, I, I know like it's it's interesting that he for whatever like, I guess he was like one of the leaders or maybe he was the leader, but still, it's like why is he the only one that right, everybody right. knows and nobody knows anyone else? The other guys are complaining to their agents in hell. Why is no one mentioning my name? <laughs> Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So uh, the meal's over. Richard and Beverly are uh, heading out to see Last Tango in Paris, which is Richard's favorite film. Right. Uh, Larry's like, that is pretentious ma- pre- pretentiousness masquerading as art. Um, Wayne, would you screen Last Tango in Paris at the Wayne Fetterman Film Festival? Oh, my God. I love this awkward <laughs> shoehorn that just happened there. Um, it depends. It's, I didn't I didn't pick any of the movies at the Wayne Fetterman Film Festival. In, oh really? In, yeah, yeah, I picked the comedians, and they picked their movies. So, in theory, yes. I mean, I don't love. I'm with Larry. I don't like that movie, but uh, it doesn't matter. I've this was a film festival of comedians that would pick a film, they would screen it, and then we talk about it afterwards. And I asked Larry to do it, by the way, and he said, so, "So basically, he almost did. He came very close. He goes, oh, that's a good idea because uh, Jeff had done Sweet Smell of Success and he loves that movie so much and we were quoting it. And then he goes, uh, he goes, I think I know, I think I know what movie I would do. But uh, uh, the problem is, and this is an exact, I think an exact quote. It might be a paraphrase. He goes, if I, if I do it, then I'll have to do it. And it kind of made sense. I mean, I, I hear that. Yeah. I feel that about a lot of things. Yeah, if like, I do yeah, this, sounds, I have... That sounds great in theory, yeah. but like that, there's going to be a lot of work I'm going to yeah, have to yeah, do, it yeah. sounds like. If I do it... At the it, very least, he's going to have to watch a movie. If I do it, I'm going to have to do it. Okay. Yeah. So he he declined. All right. Well, And uh, for purposes of completion, I want to note that I looked up the names of the other 19 hijackers. Oh, yeah? Is there anyone oh. that rang, rang a bell? Any no, not at all. But Muhammad Atta, he was sort of the leader of all of them, and he was the oldest. And so I guess there is a reason why he's is the one name we remember. But, yeah, none of the other names found right. at all. Like There's uh, Khalid, Khalid Muhammad. Is that the one? He, like, was one of the planners, There was a lot of people right? who we thought were the 20th was... hijacker and, and the planners. Yeah, they, they were more uh, prominent. It's like the fifth It's like the yes, fifth exactly. Beatle. <laughs> it's more famous than Riggo Star. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so the other 18 are uh, uh, rather anonymous in there. They're into me, which I guess doesn't make any sense. All right, back to curve. Yeah, that uh, your uh, the, the film festival sounds like a lot like this. Uh, there's a movie podcast I love. I'm a big movie podcaster as well. Yeah. And, uh, there's a movie podcast I live called I listen to called Movie Crush. Oh. Where like somebody just comes on and yeah. talks about yeah. a movie that they love. Yeah. Because like there's just like something like it's great to hear like analysis of objective opinions, but like there's something so great just hearing someone gush about a movie that they love, even if it's like not a movie that everybody loves. I feel like you're justifying uh, like, this TV show by talking about that. <laughs> I mean, this podcast, this podcast. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's, you know, that, that I have a special place in my heart for that. I have like a special place like in my heart out. for people who obsess over things. Let's get back to yeah. the second act of this <laughs> show. Let's do it. Uh, okay. So um, they depart and, you know, Beverly tries to give him a kiss goodbye. And again, he's like, oh, no, can't do that. And Richard's like really pissed. Like, what the hell? Well, just give her a kiss like you're an aunt at a Seder. And Larry makes up that he has a cold sore, and that's why he didn't want to kiss her. You know, I was just so embarrassed to say. So Richard's like, okay, yeah, he's buying. Yeah, taking a herpes for the team. Good job by Larry, I think. (laughs) 
Yeah, so um, I think I guess we're at the next day, and Larry's uh, going shopping for his X-Acto knife at the hardware store, and Leon comes rushing in. He's like, what the hell did you do? You told, you told Alton that, I, that I'm sleeping with his wife. He's like, no, I didn't. I just said that she's beautiful. He's like, well, that, you know, insinuated to Alton that I'm sleeping with his wife. He's like, what? so just tell, her that, just tell him that you're not. He's like, well, I am. <laughs> Yeah, in that scene, doesn't it goes like now it's on you? He's like, I didn't do anything. He's like, we fucked her or something like that. Isn't that a line? Right. Yes. He's like, we are uh, we're a fucking Lego set right now. We're interlocked. It was you and me. We both did it. We both fucked her. Yeah, uh, Leo. Yeah, and so it turns out Leon has been uh, kung fuing that ass for a while now. Uh, oh, that's says. hilarious! Uh, just so a quick thing: the the guy who sells them um, the the knife is uh, also uh-huh. a comedian, Monty Hoffman. Monty Hoffman. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah, okay. So, all right. So we're uh, we're at the big meeting at the doctor now. And, um, you know, the doctor's, like, starting to, like, explain, like, her, her, you know, way she does things. And Larry has just, like, takes over this meeting. He's, you know, he starts, like, sputtering his lips like a horse. You know, he just wants to put on an act for this doctor to be as, you know, obnoxious as he can. You know, he comments on the African art. Oh, Loretta, you probably would like the African <laughs> art, of course. Um, she, he's, like, he picks up a picture. He's, like, who's this? He starts asking, like, personal questions. Why do he have hair? Then, like, he pretends to be insulted that she says that he that he has a lot of hair. So you're saying, I don't have hair. Oh, uh, oh we're not worthy to work, <laughs> walk the planet with, yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, he's like singing commercial jingles, and eventually the doctor's like, "All right, here's what's gonna happen. You're gonna go outside so I can talk to Loretta." And Larry does this like great, just like old Jewish. He's like, "Okay, yeah, I'll st- I'll go outside. You'll be inside. You'll yeah. discuss. You'll talk. Then I'll be out. You'll be in." <laughs> Did you say Jackie and, Mason? Is that what yeah. you said? He said uh, Jewish. Say that, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's really what, yeah, what he was doing. Just like, that's totally yeah, what he was like doing. Just like a very like yeah, very borscht belty yeah, just yeah. like demeanor. Um, and the doctor's like, turns to Loretta, she's like, okay, I have something very difficult that I have to tell you. <laughs> um, so yeah, so we head out, and first, you know, Larry quickly meets uh, the doctor's husband, so that way he can recognize him later on in the episode. Yep. And then, is that Dean Weinstock's music? I believe it is. Enter stage. Uh, neighbor Dean returns to the show. And first, he's like, oh, hey, L- Larry, is that you? And Larry, of course, has no idea who <laughs> Dean is. And he's like, oh, you know, you know, I'm, I'm your neighbor, Dean. You know, remember, we used to live together. And they're like, oh, OK. And, you know, they kind of like do this like awkward like, hey, with like the hands at their sides and like what like kind of the shake. And they end up going for the hug. And Larry leans in and Dean's glasses immediately break. And Larry's like, he's, he's like being very apologetic. He's like, oh, I'm so sorry, your glasses. And he's like, oh, don't worry about it. I'll send you a bill. How's Cheryl? <laughs> Yeah, I love the immediate yeah. house, Cheryl. Yeah, like, of course, of course, like, of course. Like the thing I said before was like not totally out of left field or anything. <laughs> right, 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 it's right. Like, yeah. Of course, that's how this gets resolved. The important thing is how Cheryl. How are you doing? Yeah. Uh, real quickly, the because when I he told me the idea of it, I was like, wow, that's quite a jump to justify him having to pay for it. Is you know, so it was like. How am I going to justify this? And then before the scene, I was, uh, when they're shooting the scene in the office, uh, and I saw Larry, I was like, I came over to him and go, I think I have the angle on how to, he goes, no, 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 don't, t- don't say a word. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it until the cameras are rolling. I don't want to, I don't care. So, uh, so that was, so he didn't want to do any z- zero rehearsal so he could have like a real reaction on camera. 
And I think that's that's very that I think that's most famously done in the show when um, when Bob Einstein, when Super Dave Osborne tells his uh, "Your cunt doesn't oh, okay. think" joke to Jerry Seinfeld. That was a real reaction. Right. Jerry right. had no idea what was coming. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, he yeah, so like they, he wanted it, so he wanted that. Anyway, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, so you guys have this whole back and forth where, like, you know, Larry's like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, you know, they're your glasses. Like, you were wearing them on your chest. Like, that's not, you know, my problem. And, you know, Dean is like, you know, what I think happened is, um, you know, you, you, I said, hey, and you thought I was going for a hug. And, you know, I think that what happened is, like, you're, you were so embarrassed that you didn't recognize me that you, like, overcompensated and went in for a really aggressive hug. And I think it's in part because you're a needy person. <laughs> So much piled on top of that sentence. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is all off the top. I mean, this is all me just like spinning. Obviously, there's no script. And like that was my just to justify like why he did that. And uh, there's actually on YouTube people like slow it down and see who went for the handshake first <laughs> and who did that. And it's really interesting. Yeah, I, it's like a Zabruder film a little bit. Uh, Yes, I was going to say, the, the Beverly Babushka connection. Yeah, yeah. I tried doing that earlier today, and I have to say it was inconclusive. Like, I, I <laughs> slowed it down to, like, super slow speed, and I'm like, I think it literally is, like, you both, like, kind of, like, approach each other with, like, the hay with, like, your hands yeah, yeah. on your sides, and then, like, you both think the other guy is going for the hug. Right. So, like, you do it because, like, you know, to benefit the other yeah, guy. But what, yeah, but from what we know of the characters, so I feel like Larry wouldn't like, be initiating too many hugs. <laughs> but he does kind yeah, of. He does, yeah. it's, it's interesting. Film doesn't lie. Yeah. Yeah, exactly, um, exactly. yeah, but as Larry explains, though, he's like, you know, I have no needs at all, and I don't like you. Right, so right. There's no <laughs> way I was gonna hug you. <laughs> yeah, um, and there's no way I'm paying for these glasses. And like, then Dean tries to make this like distinction between yeah. replacing the glasses <laughs> versus buying glasses, which I don't really understand what the difference is. That was another Fetterman. That's a total made. That's just like. Just yeah, trying to great. just sort of like lawyer him up a little bit, just like oh no, you don't have to right. buy them. You just have to replace the glasses. It's not you don't yeah, have to. Because yeah, I don't. Oh, you might not know what an opt- I, I figured you probably don't know what an optometrist. So, <laughs> so yeah, that scene went on quite a long time because Larry kept laughing in that scene. Obviously, I'm sure you spoke to a number of people who've been on the show. Like he has a little bit of a comedic glass jaw. Like he just cracks up quite a bit. And he just was loving what I was doing. He couldn't have loved it anymore. And like to the point where it went so long, he apologized to the crew because the scene was taking too long. They, they couldn't keep it straight face because I just kept leaning oh, wow. into the like, well, you just have to, you don't, of course you don't have to buy the glasses. You just replace them. It's no big deal. <laughs> like whatever yeah, he came out. You. Yeah. I wouldn't ask you to buy them. I just need you to replace them. <laughs> Yeah, so Larry's like, what I'm going to do with that voice is rip it up into pieces and, and pee on it. Um, until finally you play the uh, the ultimate Trump card, which is that. Play the cancer card. Yeah. cancer. Yeah. Uh, and, Trump is uh, worse than cancer. Yeah, your doctor says it's not good for you to, it's, yeah, it's not good for you to fight. Yeah, 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 yeah. And yeah, I guess I have a, yeah, I have, maybe I have that same therapist that's like, I, like well, so, I have to break up with you. Yeah, so that's, yeah as a matter of fact, yeah, I think I say, as a matter of fact, my doctor told me specifically to avoid fighting. Like, like yeah. to put it on him, like, oh, this is specifically what I'm supposed to be avoiding. And then, of course, I can't help but needle him at the end. <laughs> okay, you'll pay for it. That's good. Feels yeah. good to take responsibility. <laughs> right, right, right. Right. He won't, like, he won't even just, like, let him, <laughs> let him get... be good to just pay. Like, you also have to like, yeah. admit that you were wrong. It's yeah, like, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Like, but they don't... <laughs> 
It feels it's good. This feels like I'm doing him a favor. You must feel good now that you took responsibility. Yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. This is growth for you. We're all very proud of your growth. <laughs> the worst kind of person. Yeah. Well, so let's dive into that for a second. So Dean uh, is, um, you know, as you said, he's here. Maybe he's visiting Dr. Trundle. Who is Dr. Trundle going to advise uh, Dean to leave? Um, we don't see, you know, Lucy Webb Phyllis in this episode. I assume... Right. I assume Dean is still with her, though, because he initiated the conversation, how is Cheryl? And I feel like if you just got divorced from your wife, you're not going to ask someone else how theirs is. Unless you want to be divorced. I don't know. Oh. Or maybe, or maybe he already even... left her because he listened to Dr. Trundle. Right. <laughs> you know, there's a, I guess the best way would be to check the tape to see if I'm wearing a wedding ring. Mm-hmm. And, oh, yeah, because I definitely am in the wire. I'm wearing a wedding band. And I think I am in this one as well. I'm 90. I'm in the 90%. But, uh, yeah, so I don't, not that they, he could, look, he could be separated from her, yeah. but that really wasn't an issue. I was there for cancer treatment to get some chemo, and then I run into Larry. I'm like, hey, I want to know about how Cheryl oh, So you definitely, Why am I you definitely have chemo, cause my, or cancer, because my one question is, all my other question is, is it possible, knowing how devious Dean Weinstock is, that he just lies, oh, he geez. sees that he's losing, the, he's losing the payment for the glasses, and he thinks quickly on his feet, hey, how am I going to get Larry to pay me here? Well, we're in a cancer hospital right now. So let me just claim that I have cancer. <laughs> I never thought of that level of, I don't know if he's quite that guy, but maybe. He, I think he was the worst guy like in the, the show for two guy. and a half seasons. So. <laughs> who, by the way, who replaced him? Who replaced him? Uh, I think you'll be happy by the answer because I saw today this you somebody asked you on a podcast I listened to like is there one person that was ever you felt starstruck by working with them? Do you remember what you answered to that? Ever starstruck? Um, that you felt starstruck oh, that like you got to work with them? What's it? Mel Brooks? Mel Brooks and Mel Brooks. Well, no, the it is. No, no, hold on. Uh, oh, I, I, I hate so to ruin right. that connection. It was, it was Andy Portico. No, but Mel Brooks is. Oh, sorry. Mel Brooks is the only person who held the belt for longer than you. But, I think that's that's the. Yeah, but that's yeah, but that's a oh, split decision okay, so, because I still had Portico. There's, there's, <laughs> right. Yeah, he always makes everything. So, all right, you guys we, are too. We funny. have to explain, Wayne. So uh, just just like in boxing, there's two different belts one can hold. You can hold the worst person according to me yes. and the worst person according to Oz. You were the you were the united, oh, undisputed worst person. Uh, not you, but your character, Dean, for the longest time. Yeah, yeah. Whereas for uh, for Oz, it was uh, Mel Brooks who replaced Andy Portico, and for me, I had Andy Portico over Mel Brooks. Um, Andy Portico is a character who's played by Paul uh, Wilson, what is... by the way. Oh yeah, I'm a dear friend of that guy. Yeah. yeah, and what does he do? Oh wait, is he the one in the the airport? No, he's one in the no. dodgeball scene. He breaks his thumbs, and then he uh, he can't eat oh, because his thumbs are broken. And his assistant comes in and he screams at her and calls her a fucking idiot for bringing him something that he couldn't eat with a straw. He's just like incredibly cruel to her. And he, and and, oh, and he gives a mean review to Larry's restaurant, and he uh, was trying to injure children in a dodgeball game. So <laughs> that's why he's supplied what a to career. Do. You know that guy is in the movie. Just so you know, that guy is in the movie The Goodbye Girl from 1977. Paul Wilson. Yeah, oh, wow. yeah. He, and he uh, he. He foists the bad chef onto Larry also in order to uh, oh, I see. bring the yeah. restaurant to yeah. its knees. Uh, yeah, so yeah. Okay, okay, okay. Well, who's the subtlest right, of the bad people? Who's the subtlest of the bad people? You're definitely the subtlest. <laughs> yeah. most, of the, most of the other ones are more like true villains. Like last week we had yeah. Jeff as the, as the worst person for, um, you know, sleeping with Catherine O'Hara, who plays like a borderline mentally <laughs> handicapped person. So, you know, clearly much more like outright villainous than right. anything you do, but... 
You know, there's like it, it is, in other ways, your character is a worse yeah, person. He's just right? a weasel. <laughs> Can I digress real quickly and just tell you real quickly? Sure. Just this is just because it's off the time. I don't want to forget it. I think my favorite yeah. scene in the whole series so far, and I haven't seen every episode. I know that sounds crazy, but I haven't. Uh, is the the kid that's I don't know flam the flamboyant kid that uh, that yes. quilts in New York? A, uh, yeah, the Hitler thing. <laughs> The swastika. Yeah, the swastika. Yes, yes, that's what it was. <laughs> yes. That scene, yeah, he, I just feel like it, it could only come from Larry David. Like, it's so insane what happens. <laughs> and that kid is a genius. Yeah, great acting by and, the kid. Uh, who's Hitler? And my favorite line is, uh, yeah, why didn't Hitler like the Jews? thought they were a bit much. <laughs> he thought they were a bit much. Anyway, I'm sorry. Some, it's my favorite line some, of the, uh, sometimes of the we whole can series. Be. Go ahead. Sometimes no, we can that's, be. <laughs> that's great. Stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, that's, God damn it, that line is that's, too good. Uh, his name is uh, Eddie Schweikart. <laughs> so I'm guessing he's a... Oh, uh, I love this. Swastika goes as this as way and this way and this way. Ah, we should get that guy on when we get to that episode. I assume he's, a slight, I assume uh, he's old enough to be on a podcast right now. Yeah, yeah. He certainly would be. Yeah, well, we'll reach out to him. All right, sorry. Go um, ahead. But digression. Let's no continue this. All good. All good. Um, okay. So yeah. So Larry finally agrees to pay. Uh, we're heading home, and Larry says he has a uh, a pretty good vibe about that doctor. Pretty, 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 <laughs> pretty good. Four pretties out of five. Um, Alex, where are we on the pretty, pretty, pretty good? This count? is the eighth time that we've had it so far, and the first time since the first oh, book. <laughs> Wayne's like, what have I gotten into here? No, I guys, I can't be enjoying this more. I can't be enjoying this more. This is I love it. Yeah, had no idea it was this level. Yeah. Go ahead. But I, but I will say four pretties is very good. Um, it's tied for the most pretties. The only thing so far on the show that Larry David has uh, said was worth five pretties was in the thong. Uh, that was that that earned the full five pretties for how Larry was feeling that day in season two. Full five. Yeah. Full five. Full fives are rare. Um. <laughs> Yeah, so um, Larry, Loretta's like, yeah, well, you know, this doctor told me to take certain actions, and Larry's like, I'm fully supportive of whatever this doctor told you, like, whatever, you know, no matter how painful, and Loretta's like, well, you know, she has this lecture she's giving, I'd love to go to it, and Larry's like, I'll even drive you. That's how Larry, how excited he is. So, uh, yeah, so we're back home now, and Richard drops by, and he's like, I had this special relationship, and you ruined it. And Larry's like, are you sure? Because, you know, you've had a lot of other special girls. <laughs> yeah. Is this one the most special? She's even more extra special. And La- Richard's like, yes, the most special. You ruined it. Um, he's like, you know, you know, why could you know, I want you to come tell her the truth. Um, so but they Larry spend a lot out. of time on just the word special, don't they? Yeah. Don't they go back and forth? I think yes. they go back and forth several times. Like, Because the last yes. one I thought was very special. <laughs> and then Richard's like, yeah, I was laughing. No, no, no. This is the special. This is the special one. <laughs> yeah, good for good for Richard though. He's meeting all these special girls. No, it's just, but again, that kind of comedian language, just yes, deciphering yeah. what someone's actually saying is, <laughs> mwah, mwah. great stuff. Yeah, uh, yeah, they're they're always great together. Um, yeah, so you know, Larry comes out. He's like, okay, the truth, if you must know, is the reason why I didn't kiss you is because Jeff told me that you gave Richard a blowjob in the car right before. And they're like both like Richard's like, what the hell? What are you talking about? Beverly's obviously very embarrassed. He's like, what are you guys in third grade? And Richard's like, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to. But like, you know, I haven't had one in five years. So it just slipped out. 
And she's like, well, you're not going to have one for another five years. And she drives off, and you've got to need it. <laughs> so good. Uh, but don't they have a little so, fight about whether there was a miscommunication when he was yes, pointing yeah, for the yeah. cold sore yeah. or for the – yeah. Exactly. Yeah, that's like right after she drives off. So he's like, what did you do? Like, why, why, why did you say that? He's like, well, that's what happened. He's like, oh, I thought you said cold sore. He's like, well, first of all, that was a bullshit story. Second of all, you gave me the sign for blowjob. You point it to your mouth. And like, which is like, that's not blowjob. That's cold sore. Possibly choking. Maybe even eating corn on the cob, which I would argue is the same right. thing. Yeah, I mean, but Larry's definitely wrong. Like, there, there is a blowjob uh, signal, and that is not it. So, but... That is not right. it. Listen, Larry's had a dry spell, so he's forgotten about it, I guess. Yeah, he doesn't even know the yeah. sign for <laughs> right. anymore. That's how long it's been. <laughs> he just knows it's something uh, that uh, non-Jewish women yeah. do. Yeah, so, so so he's heard, or so he maybe, right, maybe right. remembers. Um, so, yeah, so, like, Richard's like, well, you should have just kissed her. And Larry's like, well, I was, like, really just didn't want to get the semen from that from his lips, from her lips. Um, you know, I didn't want any, like, a secondhand yeah. semen situation. <laughs> And Richard's like, that's that's not a thing. Like, you can't be yeah. gay by proxy. It's like probably the Constitution. Which, by the way, it's weird to me that like, um, neighbor D, oh, you're okay. a, you're a lawyer. Is no no gay proxy? In I, the don't Constitution? Think, I, I don't think. I don't think. certainly not in the Constitution. Maybe in the Bill of Rights, though. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. It, it, it is yes. weird to me that like the sort of the way they talk about it though is like the gay panic part versus just like the perceived hygienic issue. Like, if someone had just performed oral yeah. sex, you know, it could be, like, it could be a heterosexual oral, but it could just be, you know, like, you know, you didn't want to get your lips dirty from the semen, not because... Right. You don't need yeah, to be to not want to not want to yeah, yeah, exactly. Semen. Right. Um, that's what I was trying to say. But I, I, I think we can say that it maybe was probably that. Yeah. So the secondhand semen yeah. was the issue, not the health of it, right? Semen, by the way, I'm not sure first-hand, second-hand. I make a big distinction. Yeah. <laughs> you're either okay with it or you're not okay with it, probably. Yeah, it's so fun. Oh, there's been a, there's been a what year? What year is vehicular of uh, 2009? What what year is this? 2009. Yeah. Just because I feel like semen and coming and all of that stuff is such a big part of comedy now. I see it in like so many TV shows. I'm I'm always wondering. Like, I guess something about Mary was probably the first time it was really used in a big comedic set piece. In such and an explicit way. Yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just a little bit comedy nerd <laughs> sidebar. Continue, continue. The place. Yeah, I feel like it. <laughs> yeah, I feel like in general, Curb has always been just like a little ahead yeah. of the curve of like pushing the limits of certain things. It's interesting that like what Larry did. Right, I like. I feel like the word "cunt" things. wasn't really used that much until the, the, that's yeah. a, a very early or, episode, yeah. right? Yeah. Or, or yeah, yeah, or the N word, which he yes, the N word, yeah, yeah, in, in season yeah. six, yeah. Many times in one episode by Larry. When I when I when I think of semen and the sentence go in a lot of directions, I mean I realize, but <laughs> I think of uh, it, I know I know I think of another show that uh, uh you, you were on um it's always sunny in Philadelphia right just one episode yeah. yes yeah um yeah. so I, I think of when Max says uh, the streets are filled with the ejaculate of the homeless and you want to call the police so yeah we don't want it on the streets <laughs> and we don't want it on uh, other people's lips but all right let's get back to curb for right, a second. Right. <laughs> Yes. All right. So we're uh, we're heading over to the speech, and you know, Larry and Loretta are in the car, and Larry uh, looks over at the car next to him, and like, who is it? It's uh, it's Doctor Trundle's husband, who he recognizes from the office, and then they see, oh, Doctor Trundle's husband has a visitor, none other than Doctor Trundle herself, who uh, is li- lifting up her head from what appears to be his lap. She uh, does a little wipe on the side of her cheek. She heads back down, 
And there's really no other conclusion that can be reached other than uh, Dr. Trundle is giving uh, Mr. Trundle a blowjob in the car, some vehicular fellatio. And Loretta's like, that's it. I'm no longer interested in any advice from any doctor right. that would do anything like that. I'm, I'm going to chime in here. I'm going to say, though, uh, uh, this is very you... good uh, marital advice. I recommend that the next time your spouse has, uh, is about to have a very big public presentation, uh, ask them if they can uh, <laughs> give you some uh, vehicular fellatio. And um, if they protest, just point out to uh, Dr. Trundle, who's an expert in that. She recommends it. So. <laughs> but that, doesn't she deny it oh, later on? Yeah. Like, what do you yeah, think so, of that? What do you think of I'm that? Not, I don't, I'm not buying it. She's reaching for the keys. Yeah, yeah I think she's lying. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I'm with Larry. <laughs> I think you blew him. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So right, so he uh, right, so they head over there, and yeah, she she basically denies it. Cause, like she's like she basically she wants to speak to him yeah. because she's like, why didn't you guys show up? I feel like you figured out what I'm up to when you preempted and got me. Like, oh, I know what you're up to. Um, and he's like. <laughs> He's like, yeah, I'm like, well, if you must know the reason why we didn't come, it's because we saw what it's you know, she denies it, she hits him. Uh, what's interesting is that the reason why Larry is there is to drop off a check for Dean. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Which is like, so is there any story to that? Like, were they, were they just very strict about honoring the Fetterman and out? Like, why would the way oh. that Larry pays you be that, like, oh, I'm going to drop off a check at this doctor's Well, they just office. had to justify him going back to that yeah. office. I yeah, guess, that's, yeah. I, I assume that was just a... You know, the Alec Berg was writing on that season, and Jeff Schaefer, and a guy named, oh my God, I'm going to forget his name. He, he, he show ran Veep for a number of years. David Mandel, David Mandel. So they were all helping. So I'm sure they were like, uh, you need him back in this office somehow. Okay, I have another, I have another curb question now that I know you guys are. How many times has Larry been in a fight where he's ended up on the ground at some point? Like, in that one, he's on the ground, too, right? Yeah, with Diane Keaton, he has one. With Richard a, Lewis, he has lot. one. Not Diane Keaton, excuse me. With, with, with Diane that Keaton, girl in the... With Diane Keaton's interior decorator, he has one. Yeah, yeah, of course. And she doesn't she kiss yeah, him in the middle that, of the Yeah, that one uh, escalates in a different direction. Yeah, he so. has the... He has the fight with Richard Lewis yeah. for the bracelet yeah. right outside the store. With Ted Danson uh, for the shirt. It's like... Um, does he end on the ground? Does he end on the ground? He spends a good amount of time on the ground. How about the girl yeah. in the elevator in that doctor one? Doesn't they? I want oh, yes, yes. Don't they get yes, to the ground? Uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, she's hilarious um, in that thing. He also gets like he gets um, like mowed down by the kamikaze guy's father in the, uh, the electronic wheelchair in the nursing home. Oh, I don't, <laughs> I don't know if I know he that. He gets like crushed against the What door. about the yeah, guy who wrote uh, – I know this is going to be – what about uh, Lin-Manuel Emanuel? Or, Miranda. Hamilton. Yeah, I'm mispronouncing his name. Yeah, Lin Manuel Miranda. Lin yeah, Miranda. Do they do they physically? Fight well, I've I've that? intentionally Don't avoided so. any episode of Curb beyond where we are on the podcast, so um, I haven't seen. It. Oh wow, I love no, it. I mean, okay, I, I, I had no idea. Know, I, 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 no I have idea. seen it, but I haven't yeah. seen it in like a couple of years. So since we started this podcast two years ago, okay, I okay. never watched Curb other than episodes that we've already seen. So I love it. Okay, let's continue. Yeah. Suddenly, likes, I'm I'm running this. Fresh. Yeah. <laughs> No, it's all good. Yeah. We love we love it. We'll follow your lead. Yeah. So <laughs> they, the, the, him and the doctor part on uh, poor ways. So Larry heads home, and when he gets there, Leon is like out in front. He's like Alton is here, and his <laughs> wife is here, and if he finds me with all with my, with his wife, he's gonna kick my ass. And you know he like sends off the wife with uh, Larry, and they go and they hide inside Larry's car as like 
Leon takes Alton all around the house and shows him, you see, she's not here, she's not here, she's not here. Like, what do you want from me? You're crazy. And uh, finally, Leon lets him know the coast is clear, right. and the wife uh, gets up, and she does the same motion where she lifts up her head from, you know, Larry's uh, lap area as Loretta <laughs> pulls up, and she's like, what the hell is going on here? <laughs> and... We cut, we cut straight to the, the family is like packed up and they're leaving and they're marching out. And one last time, Auntie Ray yells out, <laughs> fuck you, Larry David. That is some <laughs> bullshit, uh, which is but I thought was the funniest part of the episode. Right. I like when Loretta says, I gave you a taste of the chocolate. <laughs> right. Um, let's talk for a second about uh, so Alton's wife is played by Tangerine Thomas, uh, who is very beautiful. Last week, uh, we discussed my fruit rankings. Uh, I, I checked before the episode. I have the tangerine rank number thirteen on my fruit rankings. Wayne, are you a fan of tangerines? I I only I don't know her. I don't. No, know I mean her. the actual she... fruit. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I thought you was like she's famous. Tell me about tangerine. Now, oh, uh, wait. On your, my fruit rating? No, that's that's pretty far down. I I much prefer the mandarin mm. over the tangerine. Mm-hmm. And then, obviously, the orange above both of those. Oh, so. oh you like the traditional orange best. Okay, yeah. that's fair. And, and oh, yeah. I, I orange, like the orange, orange, and I don't like the orange with the weird grapefruit color. That's a new thing, and other people are doing. Do you oh, know about weed? that? Like the in, yeah, they, there's like it's like red in the inside. Oh, the, the, still oh blood orange, like you mean? An orange. Blood orange, yeah. that's it, that's it. Yeah, yeah. So, not a fan I of that. I love these... Uh... I love these sumo oranges. They're like very large. Yeah. And they're like kind of like wrinkly on the outside. So like they look kind of gross, yeah. but they're super easy to peel and they're super sweet. Well, the they're ease delicious. to peel is one of the advantages of the clementine, especially for kids. I give it to my kids because I can peel them. Right. Themselves. Now, was the clementine and the mandarin, is that the same thing? I think they're a little different, but I, I think they're a little different. I think the clementine, the clementine is has What is a... the cutie? What is the, what is the cutie? What is that? Cutie is a clementine, I believe. Oh, interesting. Okay, I think it's I think it's uh it's a brand or type of clementine. Yeah, because okay. we get we get those. Yeah, yeah, I like those because uh, they're like individually wrapped. By the way, I was listening to a citrus I was yes, listening to a yeah, citrus yeah. fruit podcast this week, and then they interrupted it to talk about Kirby enthusiasm and, and Pete Maravich for a while. It was uh, very interesting. <laughs> <laughs> wild, yeah, wild. So, uh, yeah. How many listeners did we just lose with the fruit? <laughs> with the fruit I literally I thought, like, Chan- come back. I thought that actress Tangerine was, like, famous for something else. Oh. I'm like, do you like no. her? I'm like, I don't even know her, really. She also, by the way, no, uh, uh, Alton's wife has terrible taste, I think, in men, because Alton looks like a much better catch than Leon. Oh, right, yeah. right. Yeah, that guy looks yeah, good. Yeah, Alton's a... Yeah, um, well, he's depressed, so he's uh, he might yeah. be checked out. Well, maybe he's depressed because his wife is cheating on him with the... <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> that could be, yeah. it could all be connected. Uh, yeah, Zach points out that this is now, I think, the second time recently that we've seen Larry David getting caught do, not doing a sexual act, but like the person thinking he was doing a sexual act. We had last season when Auntie Ray sees him like putting on the lotion in his car and she thinks that he's masturbating when he's just doing right. nothing wrong. Um, so, yeah, so Leon, Leon comes home and he's like, What happened? Larry fills him in. Yeah, they all left. And so Larry's like, So you'll be. <laughs> and Leon's like, Taking my Chinese food and going upstairs to my room. <laughs> and uh, Larry gives him uh, this little smile as if to say, Leon, I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Yeah. No, it did work out for Larry in that episode. Yes, he got Larry basically got everything he wanted. Except he only wanted one thing. Except he had to pay three hundred dollars for glasses. Yeah, that's true. I think he would if you told him at the beginning of this episode you pay three hundred bucks, Loretta's gone. Yeah, yeah. Oh right, right. That deal. <laughs> it's a decent trade off. Be happy. Be happy to do yeah, that. So, um, 
yeah, so we got to, we got to the final scene where Larry, it turns out, is heading over to Michael York's party with the GPS. Um, although I guess we'll learn that he has isn't quite using the GPS, it's... and he uh, he goes over to um, what he sees is a car pulled over the side of the road. It looks like there's an accident, and who is it? <laughs> Lo and behold, it's Susie and Jeff, who it turns out have attempted some vehicular fellatio themselves and have crashed as a result. <laughs> so Larry's like, "Good news, I have an exacto knife in my car. I'll be able to cut off your seatbelts." Except. The exacto knife is packaged in the very packaging that would require right. an exacto knife to uh, extract. To be on. Alex, this the ending of this episode is very extremely Talmudic to me. I don't know. Did you ever learn in in, uh, in school about the idea of like how like the first thing that ever had to be invented in the history of the world is tongs? Tongs. Yeah, it's like this like philosophical type thing because like the only you can't make tongs without tongs. Like you need tongs. I got it. Okay. Tongs. So therefore, there's like Wait, this, this like philosophical this is, thing. This that is like in God the Talmud somewhere. Tongs. It it's in like some like One midrash of or something. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That the first thing ever invented was tongs because tongs can't be made without mm. tongs. Okay. That's great. I, I'm surprised they missed the uh, the goy uh, joke at the end when um, you know Susie Essman is down there. For the fellatio. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's interesting. That would have been a... that would be a perfect opportunity to yeah. call back. Yeah, like yeah. I didn't even think this was possible, yeah. and then then she could have done something. Yeah, and this is what happens when we try it, or something like that. Yeah, she should have been like, been like, oh, like Larry looks like, oh, Susie, yeah. how gentile. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, fuck, yeah. fuck you, Larry David. You, who are you calling a gentile? Although she tr- she tried to claim she was more gentile than Larry in the episode where they're trying to get into the uh, country club. Oh, right. Yeah. right. She claims that she could, that she could pass for a Gentile. Larry David would never pass. Her. Yeah, so she is trying to pass for a Gentile here. We also know, of course, from season one when Susie accuses Jeff of getting blowjobs from all kinds of wannabe actresses. So we, we do have a precedent that, that, uh, that Jeff enjoys uh, blowjobs. Because <laughs> without that precedent, how would we know if he enjoys them? Such an unusual trait. Yeah, they, they, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah, very rare. Very rare. The rare man who. Uh... Yeah, Olin says that. Olin, Olin says on the ending that he expected that the episode would end with Loretta giving a blowjob in the car, so he he liked the literal side swerve that saw Susie being the one to do it, which was unexpected and probably enhanced the episode. Right, for him but it is it. amazing in that uh, again Alec Berg Schaefer Mandel thing that they were able to set up. Oh, he's way out in the boonies. I don't think I want to go to that party like so early. Like that's why he's on this. Weird road. I love yeah, it. Yeah, it reminds me of when he's going to Bob Odenkirk uh, Porno Gills party. Mm-hmm. That also, that's on a long winding road somewhere where he needs directions. That time he asks the uh, crazy lady, of course, because he didn't have a GPS. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Uh, let's jump into our, our rating for this episode. Yeah, let's do it. So I, I got to say, first of all, um, Larry did a real disservice do the vehicular fellatio appreciating public with this episode and its anti-vehicular fellatio position. Um, 
so I, for that reason, I think I'm going to have to dock a point for my rating. But on the other hand, um, you know, it, it's, a, it's obviously it's an amazing episode. We had talked about how, like, the Larry Loretta relationship came out of nowhere without much development in the season six finale. And so I thought that the breakup of the episode, on the other hand, was perfect, and I thought it was, uh, was just done absolutely perfectly. Um, this is the best episode to me in, like, in at least a season. It's a top 20 curb episode. Uh, I actually slotted one spot ahead of The Wire, which is the first time we actually saw Neighbor Dean. Um, but as I said, I take, I take one pretty away um, for um, the anti-vehicular fellatio position. So I will say this episode is pretty, 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 pretty good. Uh, what do you say? I say this episode is pretty, 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 pretty good. I'm going to full five pretties on this one. Um, if that wasn't made clear over the course of this episode, how much I love this episode. To me, this is just like perfect vintage curb where we got three storylines going. Things are dropped here. Things are dropped there. They all come together. It's not in this like ham-fisted, ridiculous way. It all kind of makes sense over the course of the episode. Sure, like there's a little things here and there, but what are you, you going to do? It's a TV show, but it's like as good as curb does as, as tying it all together with just some outrageously funny stuff. And I'm always a sucker for episodes where Larry wins. There's so many episodes where Larry loses at the end. So give me one where Larry wins at the end. And like those to me always get a little bit of extra bump. Um, so yeah, full five pretties for me. To me, this is like a, t- a very elite level. Mm. Yeah. So for you also, then I think that's the, you haven't given a rating that high since uh, the ski list in season five, even So which is, oh, God, yeah. here you go. did you have her on the show? We did not. Oh, Who did a gay Fox? Who are we talking we about? We should have. Um, no, the ski lifts lady. Yeah. Um, I, 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 oh, I oh the, the, woman, the, the woman who plays the, the Orthodox daughter? Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, she shows up in a few episodes, yeah. right? At least two, I know yeah. of. She comes yeah. back after her um, boob job also. Yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> on the beach, they're on the yeah, beach or something the like that. Yeah. Her name is Iris. Iris, Iris Smart. Bar. Yeah, yeah, Iris Smart. Iris, yeah, and she's pretty religious, by the way. Mm. Is she? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. we should have. Yeah, she would. She would be interesting. Yeah, to have had on. yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Maybe that's why she knows these terms. Like Iris. <laughs> no, she does one woman shows. She does multiple characters. She's really, really fine. I don't know. I was blanking on her name, but she's yeah. yeah uh, she, she's really. She, she must have come up with that because there's no way that Larry, most of the writers, knew a lot of like the Hebrew terms that she was using throwing around in that. Episode. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it makes sense. Right. Especially the, you know when we talk about how much you know individual actors just like throw yeah. stuff in. Like mm-hmm. she just threw it wherever everyone. Everyone's like, yeah, that sounds good. Sure. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, let's talk about who the come with guy or gal should be for this episode so i want to first i want to give a special wait did we get did we get did we get wayne's rating? i can't rate something i'm in i can't rate something i'm in oh sorry sorry okay go ahead okay so look i want to give a special acknowledgement to susie green and dr trundle and richard's girlfriend all of whom perform heroic vehicular performances and i applaud you all this behavior should be celebrated and should be encouraged Susie, by the way, especially just one week after discovering that her husband may have cheated on her, on her with Bam Bam Funkhauser, quick to forgive and uh, quick to go to the vehicular fellatio. So, Susie, heroic job by you. So let's talk about Neighbor Dean Weinstock, of course. Neighbor Dean earned our uh, fucking asshole award, as we said, in season one, episode six, and held that belt for 24 episodes. But, you know, you're, you're not as much of a fucking asshole here. But, you know, and, I, and also I have a little bit of sympathy, of course, to you of cancer in this episode. So, right. <laughs> You know, I can't call someone a fucking asshole when they have cancer, so I will say that Neighbor Dean, instead, you get the come with guy, uh, as a nod, of course, to uh, Wayne Fetterman, who also came with us on the podcast today. So Neighbor Dean, uh, in his departing episode from Curb, is my uh, come with guy. Yeah. 
Right. The series isn't over, so he still could come back one more That's time. That's true. That's true. Thank yeah. you. Oh, that would be amazing. Mm. Yeah. We look forward to that. Yeah. 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 So I'll 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 diverge from uh from Alex and I will uh, I am willing to say that neighbor Dean is the worst person <laughs> in this episode. You don't call him ex neighbor you know. Dean? Mm, that's true. Oh I guess so. Yeah. I think he's yeah, I don't I is he credited as neighbor Dean the first time it's something different? This I think time, the first you know, time he's neighbor Dean and the second time he's Dean Wantstock, yeah. I think. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Even though we, they do say your name the first time. But yeah, as we told you, these uh yeah. these credits are all over. Wait, but Ob, Ob. Um, so, yeah. so who's your come with guy? My come with guy is Leon. I think this is like a real Leon highlight reel yeah, in this yeah. episode. And it, like it really is. Now it's like it's like that moment where you're like, oh, like they were able to we, we basically got almost what like Larry wanted, which is like we got to keep Leon and like let we Larry could go on and do other things other than just like have these like storylines with Loretta, which I think people they they realized we're not really going anywhere. But like kind of just having Leon in the background going forward, like really keeps the show going in a lot of episodes going forward. So we're going Leon come with guy, worst person, Aberdeen. And uh, Alex, do you have a worse person or not? Yeah, so for me, um, the biggest fucking asshole in the episode is... Listen, I'm not a fan of Loretta's deep opposition and indeed shaming of the Hikula Felicio. I should think we should not shame that behavior. But it's got to be Dr. Trundle to me. Dr. Trundle is a terrible person whose professional life is to tell people with cancer that they should break up with their sister. And it seems like she has a best-selling book about it. Yeah. Somehow Dr. Phil's hyped in it. I don't really understand that one. (laughs) Who is, um, Wayne, who to you is the biggest fucking asshole in this episode? Which character? Well, I, you know, I think, I think that Dean Weinstock is bad, but I do think she's terrible. Like, why? That's a terrible piece of advice to give Dr. Yeah, the doctor. So, I, I, to me, it's a toss-up, so... Yeah. By the way, Av, I do notice now, um, I voted for Neighbor Dean as the come-with guy in both episodes that he appeared in. So uh, uh, it may, maybe when Wayne has to rank the uh, podcast host, uh, I get a, a boost up on that one. I just noticed in my chart, though. I appreciate it. Um, Wayne, do you want to? Wait, do you want to give us a? Uh, you you gave us your worst person. Worst person you're going with the doctor. You said, I think right? so. By yeah, by a little bit. Yes, I think she's bad. I think she's a bad person. Yeah. But in a way, also Doctor Phil for having him and. Yeah, well, uh, amplifying well, well, this. Yeah, this oh, terrible absolutely. Advice. I like oh, that. That's a sneaky. That's a sneaky pick, as Doctor. Yeah, like yeah. Maybe yeah, I'll go with that. Yeah, no, because like he's giving her yeah. a platform for this terrible advice. I like yeah. that. And, uh, yeah, and yeah, we talked about it before. The only celebrity cameo in the episode, the only person playing um, themselves for the first time on an episode of Curb, is Doctor Phil, as we said on the TV screen. Ah, is it time for us to go to the postman? Uh, yes. Before we do that, um, I just we had two quick questions from uh, from listeners for specifically for Wayne. So I wanted to do those. Oh before yeah, let's we do it. Into the postman. So Olin wants to know. I think he saw that you uh, you grew up around the Washington area. Mm-hmm. He wanted to know what would your be your name of choice for the Washington football team. Great question. I am a lifetime fan of that team. The only sports team I am a fan of my whole life. So that's from when I was a kid. And I like keeping it as the Washington football team. I don't want a nickname. I do not want a nickname. I I just feel like whatever it is, it's not going to be good. At one point, I was like, let's double down and just call them the Savages. But that's probably a bad idea. And (laughs) I, yeah, yeah, I, I don't know. That's, that's, that's my take. I just feel like, all right, let's, let's play ball this way. And I think the unis look great like that. 
Yeah, I mean, whatever they pick is not going to be well-received. Right. Because yeah, like, half the population is, like, predisposed to just not like it no matter what because they changed the name. Yeah. And then within the other half, there's just going to be some people that like it, some people that don't. So no matter what, you're ending up with, like, 70% that don't like it. Right. I, so, yeah. I'm with you 100%. You totally get it, Av. What about you? What do you, yeah. what do you think, Alex? I think it's fine. I, my tongue-in-cheek suggestion was that they name the team after whoever the sitting president is at all times because no, then you would be guaranteed to get constant revenue, right? Like... So all the Trump idiots would have to buy, like, uh, Washington Trump jerseys. And then right. four years later, when he's gone, then, uh, you know, the, the uh, people on the other side can buy Washington Biden jerseys. And so <laughs> might be a copyright issue, but constant revenue stream. You know, you got to like it. Yeah, I, don't, I, I don't know a single person that would buy a Washington Biden jersey. <laughs> there. Hey, if you're a fan of the team and, you know, you get a, new, you get a big draft pick, that's, that's what jersey yeah, you got to buy. Voted, I voted for the guy, but I'm not buying his, like, Washington football team branded jersey. Right. Um, all right. One last question before we uh, head to the postman from Jim Crumley. Hey, who, Jim. Uh, he, had seen, he had seen that you're a, uh, you had, you've written for a bunch of award shows over the years, so he wants to know what you thought of this year's Oscars. Oh, that's I can't answer that. I mean, obviously it was disappointing. I don't. There's people I know that worked on the show, so it's going to be hard for okay. me to to say that. Fair but enough. It, it was okay. it was disappointing, but uh, I'm glad they got tri- I got I'm glad they got trivia in. That was good. Yeah. Well, how about that? Just more generally, what did you think about the uh, like the results of like you know? Did you have a, a specific favorite movie for the best picture lineup? No, because I am a movie buff. Obviously, I had my own festival. You mentioned it earlier. I don't know if that's going to get cut out or not, but I yeah, I like going to movie theaters. So I per I don't be want to be like oh I I just saw the best movie of the year on Hulu Plus. I just saw the right. best so, movie of the year on Amazon. Like it's just it doesn't resonate with me the way it does with other people those streaming movies got it yeah yeah i mean i think that was a big challenge for a lot of people and you know i think that's definitely a big part of why you know the ratings and all sorts of issues but yeah it's uh you know it was was a tough year that was a very that was an extremely tough tough show to to put on and absolutely yeah absolutely yeah, nothing about this year has been normal, so you know we uh, everyone's making the best of it. Wayne, we're going to head into the uh, the mailbag. We have like five or six emails. Do you want to stick around for that? If not, you're welcome to drop off at this point, and we will. Yeah, I will. I will drop off because I feel like I'm going to say something stupid and get in trouble, which <laughs> is my, my which is my mode. But uh, guys, enough. this has been so much fun, and I just I had no idea it was this level. I guess I should have known by the title of it, and. Thanks for the sports questions and for looping back and revisiting the wire. That was very nice of you to do that. I, as you, as I told you, that was my, my one of my favorite moments on camera ever in my whole career was that final scene in that. And so I, I just love it. I, thank you. Uh, I don't know if you know this. My, I have a nephew that's a rabbi. Yeah, so I feel like I'm outdoing the Orthodox Jews on this show. Wow, yeah, an actual rabbi is definitely uh, ahead of us. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. So, anyway, guys, thank you for having me on. Thank you so much. All right, Wait. cool, guys, cool. Yeah, thank you so much. This was so much fun. We really appreciate it. I love it, love it. Later, guys. All right, take care. Bye-bye. Right, bye. So, uh, much like Renap, sometimes the guests don't always hang around for the mailbag. That's yeah. right. We uh, we always uh, welcome them to stick around, but if they need to head out, we uh, we still, the mailbag marches on nonetheless. Well, we, we call it postman, here. yes. And uh, uh, remind our listeners, how do they... Uh, get their messages to the postman 
Yes, if you uh, if you have a message that you would like to deliver to the postman, you can send it to curbpostman at gmail.com. That's curb, C-U-R-B, postman, P-O-S-T-M-A-N at gmail.com. Or if you're a legacy uh, emailer, you can still send it to prettygoodcurbpod at gmail.com, although I don't know why you would do that. Um, but yeah, feel free. Either one will come to me. Yeah. And then although you said, right you said Gmail, but uh, as Wayne Fetterman's character explains it on New Girl, it's actually pronounced Gmail. Gamel, so, yes, yes, yeah. yes. I saw that. I, I think I saw that on the same uh, all of Wade Fetterman's uh, clips YouTube video that that you. Yeah, did. that's a good. That's a that's a good YouTube video. Yeah, you get a lot of. Uh, yeah. Um, also, it's at this time that we uh, will now always remind everyone to, if you haven't already, please go rate and review the podcast over at Apple. Because positive ratings helps other new listeners find the show, and we're always hoping to uh, welcome in new people like Wade Fetterman into our Curb family. Mm. So, yeah, head on over there. Give us five stars. Write a nice review. Tell your friends. Check out Curb. Seinfeld's happening. Good time to jump in. So, yeah. Yep. Now let's get to that postman. Postman! Postman! Come here! Tell the neighborhood! All right. So Jim Crumley writes, he says, a strong episode of Curb, but a criminally underutilized your esteemed guest. Uh, 3.5 pretties. He says, it was tough to pick a come with guy. Most characters did positive and negative things in the episode. I'm going with Susie. She deals with gobs of nonsense from Jeff. Uh, yeah, lots of gobs. <laughs> and still delivers a car ride to remember. Mm. Plus, Susie Esmond does some great acting for the floor in front of the passenger seat. For the fucking asshole, he goes for Loretta. Larry is an asshole as well, of course, but Loretta goes out in style, even putting aside the cancer. She is completely crazy. Um, so yeah, that is a, uh, a series wrap for Vivica Fox and... Uh, the rest of the uh, black family. Yeah, well, not series because, as Wayne said, you know they're recording a new season eleven as we speak, so you never know. Right. Yes. Series wrap uh, today. That would be wild if they brought back the blacks. That would be really crazy. Mm. I don't think that'll happen. I mean, Leon's there, so there's no reason he couldn't have a family member. But yeah. Yeah, I don't see it. Yeah. Maybe I'm wrong. I'm happy to be proven wrong. Um, okay. Next email comes from William Blake. He says, "Hey, Alex and Av, my name is Will, and I think the blowjob is a real job." The episode was funny, but one-dimensional. Come with Gal. He gives it to Susie. Apparently, she was so good. Jeff lost control of the car. Fucking asshole is Richard Lewis. Richard Lewis's girlfriend. Sorry. Don't offer a man a semen-coated backwash drink. That's just not right. He gives the episode two and a half pretties out of five, so much lower on the episode than we were. This is my lowest rating, and this wasn't even a bad episode. I like a dick joke as much as the next guy, but all, but all of my asshole come with and quote for the day was all dick jokes. Just like this episode, the Leon stuff was funny. That's what makes this a decent, at best, episode. Okay, that's fair. All right. Um, behind him is Jared Jerome, who says, We're back, baby! What an episode! Wow. This one has it all. Juggles countless storylines that all tie together believably. It has great characters, high-level Leon at his tap and finest, a sprinkle of Lewis, and what must be his 423rd special, special girl, Jeff, doing Jeff, sorry, Jeff doing Jeff peak, peak Jeff things, and the return of supervillain neighbor Dean playing the exact same asshole to perfection a full nine years later and doing it with cancer. The episode is full of laughs, perfect, awkward Larry situations, great physical comedy, and I love when the show ends just how it began. We've been through an adventure, a lot has happened, but Larry is right back where he started. Stop it on air, tight, stop it on airtight, sealed, plastic wrapping. Who among us hasn't been there? Bravo. Hmm. So no one's on board with my theory that uh, he may not even have cancer. Yeah, I don't think so. I think everyone is, yeah. uh, thinks he has cancer. Um, 
Yes, his uh, Seinfeld connection, he says, not much on this front other than the literal Seinfeld reference from Leon and, of course, the exacto knife, the very exacto knife that George used to make pudding skin singles in the blood. Also remember, Asshole Dean was a huge Louis Dreyfus fan and Seinfeld fan, so we have Seinfeld aficionados all over this episode. For Asshole of the Week, he says, I mean, come on, Cheryl's not here, so it's technically an open competition, except it's not because my number one asshole of the whole series, yes, more than Jeff who rapes mental patients, more than murderers, more than child molesters is here, for he is neighbor Dean, king of the assholes, <laughs> and another contender will not be emerging. Mm, wow. By the way, you know, I know how Jared loves to do the Seinfeld connection thing every week, and I talked about how it was funny that I had in my head that, that Wayne Fetterman had played a blind guy who was in a glasses store with a dog, and then maybe it's because of the fact that he was on Step Brothers doing that, but also maybe it's because in Curb he has the whole, you know, the whole thing with the glasses breaking and needing to buy new glasses. Maybe that was all mixed up in my head as well. That man was wearing glasses. Yes. Spotting dimes. But perhaps uh, neighbor Deed was carrying the glasses merely to fool Lloyd Broad. <laughs> yeah, uh, definitely possible. Uh, and we should have asked him about uh, if Wayne knows either of the two Lloyd Brauns when he was on with us. Maybe ask, no, maybe ask him to rank the boy bronze. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So Jared uh, continues with his come with guy. He says some good options here. Obviously, Leon is always in play, and he's great in this one. But I have to give it to Larry, who's at his best in this episode. Multiple classic social norm mix-ups by Larry. Not kissing goodbye. Also a Seinfeld connection, except that's kissing hello. Telling the fan on the phone that Leon said his wife was hot, spilling the beads to the girlfriend about not kissing her because of the blowjob. All believable mess-ups that move the plot along. Hilarious physical comedy attacking the impenetrable plastic. Great interactions with Leon and the tap-in. With Dean and just calling it out for being an asshole. With the doctor acting like a jerk. With Loretta and on and on. Straight fire from Larry this week on every front. For his ranking, he says, maybe this is because I'm coming off back-to-back crap and my expectations have been lowered, but I'm high as a kite on this episode. You're not the only one. And I ranked it first of the 62 episode four. Wow. Overtaking season four, episode three, The Blind Date as my number one episode. Wow. Obviously, that makes it pretty, 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 pretty good. That's five pretties and zero no pretties. Congrats, LD, king of the John Hausman names, Alec Berg and company on a job well done. So Jared, uh, ranking every episode either as terrible or incredible so far in his rankings. And he, uh, the number one overall episode. I mean, this is a good episode, but that's a strong take by Jared. Um, yeah, I think I think it's very very high. Yeah. Up. All right. Uh, email from Zach Brooks, who we've uh, we've sprinkled it along throughout the episode, and he will just end with him saying he gives it a four point oh, mainly for Leon and a great ending. Mm. His ass ass, by the way, we didn't discuss that with Wayne. We didn't discuss his ass ass. Yeah. Uh, no, you it's you should, it's worse to sleep with Barry. Yeah, ass is not ass. Yeah, no, yeah, there are definitely different uh, gradations of ass with different ramifications for whether or not you should uh, go forward. Um, Olin writes in as the last emailer of the episode, and he says, The opening to the episode felt very cathartic. All the screaming and anguish and pent-up stabbing motions with the knife is exactly how I felt after the European Soccer League news started to leak, a plan that would have been benefited absolutely nobody except sports lawyers, and who would want that? Fuck you, Olin. He You're my goes, worst person of the week. <laughs> he uh, he goes on to say, a nice, fun episode, great physical comedy by Larry, the doctor's office, Leon starting to literally take over, and Richard Lewis did look funny sitting at the dinner table like he was a little child compared to the others. Given the previous comments back at the start of season six of the podcast, I did expect Larry to give to give the blowjob. Um, 
Oh, I mentioned this earlier. He says, I'm sure one of the follically blessed podcasters insinuated it. I don't remember that. I don't know what he's referring to, but he says we, uh, we're, the, we're responsible for that misdirect, he thinks. Mm. Uh, I don't know why. I don't know if that rings a bell for you. Um, anyway, um, he gives the episode 3.5, pretties out of 5, for the Come With Gal. He gives it to Susie. Reason, see episode title. Yeah. For the fucking asshole of the week, after being disappointed that Jeff overtook him last week in the fucking asshole stakes, Dean Weinstock perfectly times his return to try and retake his crowd. He falls short, but enough stupidity and presumptiveness over whose fault it was for the broken glasses to take this week's title, at least. To be honest, even saying hey to Lowry was enough for Dean to win the award. And uh, that's the postman. All right, next week we have the reunion, which means we're getting some Jerry, we're getting some Julia, we're getting some Jason. We're going to be all over that, Michael Richard. And we also have a, we have a guest again next week, so uh, hopefully that should be really fun. You'll find out who it is next week. Mm. And it could be one of the people I mentioned. Maybe, maybe not. Um, I wasn't listening when you read those names, oh. so I don't even okay. know. <laughs> it's going to be uh, quite a party next week. We also have Meg Ryan. We also have David Spade. So I think next week's episode is definitely going to be... Deep, 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 deep.